And then the news cockatoos come out. Watch the news, watch the news. Trust the experts, trust the experts. Trust the science, trust the science. CDC, CDC, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci. Mask on, mask off, two shots, one shot, mask on, two masks. Ah! Ah! Comply, comply. Six foot safe. Do what you are told, it is for your safety. People want to fight and argue. Everyone knows a doctor. I know doctor. And they told me like there's a stockpile. That's your figure. That's it. I've been flying on planes for months. Flying on a plane. This is when I knew, like, hmm, all right, this is so dangerous. Keep grandma in the basement. Wait for <laughs> wait. But you can go fly wherever you like. And then they, then they walk up and down the aisles. It is a federal crime. If we catch you with that mask. Blow your nose. Even though we're in a tube. With the air vents and a guy with high cholesterol. You keep it on all, all times or you may never fly again and you may deal with federal punishment. But it's snack time, you can take them off. Oh, thank you! Thank you, science! Ah, ah. Thank you, experts! Ah. I get to eat with no mask on. We're so safe when we eat peanuts. Isn't this fun? Thank God I'm safe. <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, July 4th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. It's going to be a scattered show, a lot of different things to cover today, all important as always. But as because of the day today, it's going to be an overarching sort of, I mean, as pretty much every show we do seems to be that focus, but making sure it's focused on how the technocratic biosecurity state that is building around you right now and how that is removing your freedoms on a day that the very same government doing that is going, we're celebrating your freedoms and uh, you know whatever they protest, sort of like Veterans Day and the same way they use these things. There are real reasons to have certain reverence on certain days, depending on certain things, like Veterans Day, I always point out like, 
there are plenty of people out there that believe that they're fighting for good reasons. And that's an honorable thing to point out. Sad that they tend to realize that they're being manipulated by that same government. But in this case, it's the same idea with pull out Aries there for you guys. It's the same. It's the same point with what we're talking about today, right? Celebrating our independence, and it's a valid thing to discuss in the context of how you view your freedom today. But to pretend that that still represents, even if ever what we think it did, but that coming to the day that we still have that today is just childish, right? As, all, as I've always said, what happened, and let's just just take it right to the co- signing of the con- the Declaration of Independence, right? The idea that people that that, that were in that room and sign people were in that very room that had outlines and desires for the kind of government we see today. It's historical. You can look this stuff up. They just they battled back and forth on what it should be. And my argument is that they may have won that day, but very quickly, and you can see this in the first so many presidencies, that it's very quickly slanted the wrong direction. Now, we can still scream the same things for the next hundreds of 200 years, 300 years. But the point is, ultimately, we we don't have what we said we did then, if we ever did, is the same point. But regardless, as Americans, the point that I always make, the Constitution itself is something that many of us, and trust me, I get the skeptics. The reason people are, are skeptical or rather almost sit, like standing back and pushing away from something like the Constitution, personally, I find that to be the wrong decision. I think it's like what they would want from you to pretend that it's no longer valid or never was. And even if it never was, then my point again, to come back to what I was saying, is that it's something that's taken root in, in the hearts of people like ourselves. I believe in the tenets of what that lays out. Not that it, that there's not context around it, but ultimately these things are inherent, God-given, shall not be infringed, and they are eternal. And only when you can accept it like that will this become the, you know, th- that's what it's supposed to be. Not that they can be knocked away and cut away and manipulated. And that's what we're seeing today with the idea of a, a phantom virus or the idea of foreign policy and terrorism and whatever else. And those things aren't something to scoff at, whether you're just talking about risks in an environment or whatever else. But nonetheless, they use each one of these things as levers and mechanisms to put you further down, to remove those things that they're not technically allowed to remove more and more and more and more. So the point today is to focus on the biosecurity state, the technocratic biosecurity state, like I told you yesterday, was a follow up to what we just went over yesterday and how that leads into where we are today and what I'm going to go over to start and show you why that is taking away your freedoms right this moment. Things that are inalienable, which means you don't remove, they don't, you're not lost. They don't aren't removed from you. These are powerful people that don't care that you have a God given right to make your own decisions. Or that as a woman, you have a right to decide things for your own body, regardless of what you may think from a religious context. Uh Uh-oh, that's going to spin people out right there. But didn't he just say yesterday that we should? (laughs) It's okay to have opinions and then also understand that people can make their own choices, regardless if I disagree with those opinions. We have to be strong with these things. And I said yesterday, it... The the character of an individual is truly defined when they have to stand up for things when it's not easy. It's very easy to stand up for the current thing and to stand up and argue that these people should have certain rights and women and this, these things are contentious topics, but it's not difficult to make those arguments. Everybody's going to pat you on the back in the mainstream circles, but to stand up, even if you're wrong, by the way, and make an argument you believe in that's challenging the status quo, that takes courage. And people that are willing to stand by their, their principles, even when it becomes difficult, those are the people that you should respect. Even if you think they're wrong, Mutual respect, even amongst enemies, guys, this used to be something people understood. But the point of today is to go over all of that. And the reason I started, by the way, with the clip there is because I think that's very powerful. And as someone said in the chat, we do all need a good laugh. 
But really what it showed me, guys, Jim Brewer, by the way, and I'll, I'll show you the, here, I'll just bring this up with me on the screen still. Somebody posted this. Uh, looks like it's only interviews. Uh, it's one big lie. We've seen this channel before post stuff. Jim Brewer, the pandemic. Now, I believe this is from a larger full stand-up that's only 12 minutes. And I don't know if more of it's about the pandemic. I just wanted, I just saw this and I just want to talk about the clip that was shared and how important this is. I've made this argument plenty of times before. Comedians specifically have a way of breaking through your guard because you don't realize you're letting your guard down because you think you're just there to laugh. You'll find yourself laughing at things that you may have otherwise aggressively attacked if it was in a political context or more so a non-comedic context. You'll kind of laugh at like, yeah, yeah, that is dumb, but I, I, you're wrong and masks are good, but it's funny. Like people will laugh at this even when they disagree, but it, it opens up your mind to things when you don't realize it. Now, on top of that, what he's doing right here, as Corbett's pointed out about like the TSA or the Milgram experiment, that by doing something like this, and he's by no means the first comedian to stand up and make comments, but this, the way he did this is really well done because he's attacking just the obvious child level ridiculousness of what's been happening please watch the whole thing it's only 12 minutes it's just un- the, the airplane scenario we all point this out or the fact that it's okay to we have to wear a mask to walk into a restaurant but you can take it off when you sit down these are dumb and we've all known that that's my point about the real majority and the screaming false minor false majority framed as the majority excuse me i'm confusing myself false majority framing itself as the true majority there you go <laughs> The bottom line is this gives people courage to stand up and do the same thing, right? Someone's saying it's an hour long show. I, I, I'll, I'll make sure I find it all and, and uh, include it. But it just, it just, it breaks through to realize how ridiculous this is. And it's good to laugh because these people should be not laughed at because a lot of these people are scared and think they're doing the right thing. So always remember that we always get, everybody was sleeping and fooled at one point, you don't just wake up aware of this stuff. But the point is, that he will allow people to laugh at this, to lighten it. And maybe people will start standing up the real majority and saying, you know what? We all know that was dumb because he set that table. And regardless, it's just good to laugh because it it is that stupid. The media, the whole damn thing. So please watch that. It's enjoyable. Now, on top of that, oh, I was going to play this as well. That's why I had this up here. I might as well just play it real quick. I'm going to play it again throughout the show. This, by the way, is the medical scientific kind of like the, the, the first step into where this has all been, we've all been telling you this was going to go and kind of the same stuff that Brewer's making fun of the idea that it's just one thing to the next, just follow along, follow along. It's ridiculous. And this is now exactly what we were censored for before. Like so many other hundreds of things we've made points about that you are no longer ever fully vaccinated. You're just up to date as far as Canada is now telling you which is wildly contradictory with all sorts of stats and things that are posted right now, but it doesn't matter because it's just mandate. It's whatever they say tomorrow, right? You are now hooked in for life. Now, what about if you've never gotten it? So guess what? If I've never gotten anything and you have four, but they're calling for five, you and I are both full, not, they consider them unvaccinated. That's the point. So ask yourself why it makes sense. And most people that I know and what we've proven with the pandemic of the uh, unvaccinated, the pandemic of the injected, excuse me, discussion, is that almost everybody you can see in this conversation, people you know, people we can talk about online, large, prominent people who aren't injected are not struggling. Now, it's not to say that people aren't getting the flu and other things that are naturally happening, but people that we can see, prominent people specifically, that have gotten multiple shots, Paxlova and everything else, keep getting sick. People keep, I mean, it's just, you guys know, I could go off on this forever, but let's watch this clip because 
This is alarming. And it's exactly what we told you would happen. But my message today, more specifically, is for those that haven't yet received their first booster. The immunity conferred by a primary series of two doses of vaccines administered in 2021 has now waned. While you might have gotten infected, risk is high. You could get reinfected. So just be clear what he just said. Risk is high for people with previous injections, but not yet up to date to be reinfected. Think about that. That's not what you're supposed to say, that risk is high for people that are vaccinated. Not fully, whatever that's supposed to mean. It's going to on go forever unless you have this 30 second window of the most current shot before it wanes away, which I'll tell you next. Only in that little window are you completely up to date. Any other time you're in dangerous risk of being reinfected. I mean, he just said that. Gotten infected. Risk is high. You could get reinfected with all the downfall, including the risk of developing symptoms of long COVID. As health, which, by the way, is not something that's even been proven to exist. It's wildly undefined. And the only peer reviewed science I can find on that topic says that they believe it's psychosomatic. And I've gone over that in multiple shows. But every government keeps citing it. Again, cite Jim Brewer. It's exactly what's happening. Experts and physicians will tell you it's critical that you go and get the shot that's waiting for you. Les études scientifiques sont claires. Scientific studies clearly show that our protection from the initial two-dose vaccine decreases over time. Yeah, decreases instantaneously, in fact. You know, over time or immediately, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever we can get you to conflate the thing. The point is their science shows that. We've already made it clear. We showed you directly from Pfizer's documentation. From day one to day 30, you're already below 55% relative risk reduction. That's meaningless. We're going to get to a point at some point, you know, now, you know, Jim Brewer speaking on the stage and being laughed about that, that. These are steps in the right direction. We're going to get to a point long after, if we don't stop them, they're already taking their actions because of these things where we're going to look back and go, well, that's dumb. 55% relative risk reduction is meaningless once we are out of the fervor of the COVID-19 mania. Sort of like we can all look back at world at, at, at you know, WMDs in Iraq and go, well, that was pretty dumb. Like, look at how there's nothing and lies and, and we know people, known liars stood up and made arguments they couldn't back up. And we went with that because the media shouted you down. What are you, an Assad? What are you, a, 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 see, you conflate them. They do the same things. A Saddam apologist. Next, you know, years later, you're an Assad apologist. Same stuff, guys. It's really stupid to dig through that story right now and go and, and ask yourself, how did anybody ever take them at their face at face value, especially since they lied about things before that, too, because the media and the false majority shout people down. It's ridiculous. So we will we will be able to look back and recognize because they posted that data. And that's probably even overshooting it, that this is ridiculous. This is criminal. Why these kind of people are doing this is either because they are actually too dumb to know that that what they're looking at doesn't mean what they're saying, or they don't care. Or maybe a third option, they're involved in lying to you, you know, in the, in some sort of an agenda. That middle ground could just be that they don't care and they're just in it for themselves. Either way, the data is there. That's why I am very convinced that this is not what they're telling you it is. But I'm trying to be careful not to fall too deep into confirmation bias and so on. But it's pretty hard to ignore multiple peer-reviewed studies countless experts with highly credentialed backgrounds exactly in these topics. And then they state what the CDC says. And then you look through the study and you go, well, it's observational. And they conflate vaccine with unvaccinated. Like there's a thousand reasons why this is seriously obvious. Our immunity level is 
clearly show that our protection from the initial two-dose vaccine decreases over time. Our immunity level evolves in a dynamic way uh, as a function of uh, time and uh, variance. The virus evolves, and Omicron cruelly made us aware that we will never be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Oh, did it now? Well, it's interesting how Omicron keeps being this focal point. Now, I'm going to make an, I'm going to make a point about this when we get further into the show today. I've made this argument before, but I want to reiterate the idea of just a hypothetical possibility about what this could have been from the very beginning and how Omicron was kind of poked into all of this and maybe, you know, why that might have happened. Remember, Omicron was randomly found in Botswana first, even though nobody says that anymore. Very, very telling. Right. That's just simple facts. You can easily point out, as I have many times, the first example was in Botswana, discovered on four diplomats with diplomatic immunity that nobody's ever identified. And that just stopped being told. So which means they could have brought it in from any other country without anybody checking over when they cross the border over customs because they have diplomatic immunity. Doesn't it matter to find out why those four people? My, and who cares? We just now we all point to South, South, uh, South Africa. That was the next place. And we made the point the other day that South Africa, with a like barely 35% vaccination rate, is having no problem with Omicron because it's not dangerous. But all these other places, like Portugal, that's wildly highly vaccinated, is struggling aggressively from these new variants. And I think, and I'll get into more about what this means, in my opinion, about what they seem to be trying to do. It seems like things, whatever we're talking about, are whether it's just the vaccines themselves compounding the problem for only those that take them, or they're trying to deal with a problem they accidentally created or intentionally, whether we're talking self-spreading vaccines, whole conversation, we'll get to it in a minute. But the point here, as I lose my point, fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Right, right. He talked, the Omicron kind of showed us that we're no longer ever fully vaccinated. Like, isn't that exactly what people like us were saying? And I say people like us, meaning those that are willing to question the narrative and be objective, not necessarily cr- people that are spouting things off they can't prove, which is what they want to frame all of us as, that this is going to never end, that you're never, that you're just going to keep cycling around and around. It's going to be the universal vaccine every year, which they keep telling you if you're actually paying attention. Teen, like the virus, our immunity also evolves and Omicron made us understand that two doses are no longer enough. We have to maintain our vaccination up to date. For- right, and so, so your immune system is now evolving, right? Not that your immune system can adapt to new things, but it's always changing, according to him. Maybe that's because that's what they've done to all these people. They've reprogrammed their immune system, and now they're basically just adapting to whatever they're given. That's exactly what the science is showing. Period. Peer-reviewed. Multiple scientists and doctors coming out and showing you their findings, whether we're talking about uh, uh, VADES, you know, immune de- immunodeficiency. Or, or, or the other side, which was uh, immuno, um, shoot, trigger my memory in the chat, guys, immunodeficiency, and then the other way around, where it's hyperactive. I'm just blanking on the term, right? This, we're seeing both of these. These are proven by peer-reviewed science that it can happen because of the injection. So what we're actually seeing is this is a compounding problem that they seem to be creating, and whether that was the accident that they're trying to cover up or the very purpose It's just continuing down this line. Just keep taking them. Now, the only reason I don't find this to be something that would make sense for what they would try to do is because why would it be something aimed at the people that are already listening to them? That seems like a backfire. But these are just my opinions, right? If you would argue that they wanted to do something that would, you know, make everybody fall in line, well, why would it be directed to the people that were already taking what they were told? 
Just doesn't make sense, does it? Fortunately, receiving a booster dose of COVID against COVID-19 when recommended improves this protection. We now know that being up to date with your vaccinations means you can reduce your risks of transmission of infection of severe symptoms and your risks of developing long COVID. That's why it's... A- oh, oh, reduce how much exactly? Do you even cite a number? Nah, just reduce it. Right. So if it goes down by 0.01%, it works. We reduced it. That's how these things work. So, oh, look, we had a clinical response, Fauci keeps saying. What does that mean? Did they develop a single antibody? That would be a clinical response. Is that enough? Is it even the right antibody? Nah, who cares? Get it in the children's arms, right? This is unscientific at its core. That's what's so crazy about this. Essential that Canadians remain up to date with their vaccines. And what does being up to date mean? Being up to date with your vaccinations mean that you've received your last dose uh, during the last nine months. If you've already received your first booster dose, congratulations. However, find out in order to see when or if and when you'll be eligible for a new dose. Basically, True True North shared this, by the way. Thank you. True North's always been a great job. So basically, whenever we tell you. So just stay home, do what we tell you. And when we, when we trigger your notification on your digital ID passport on your phone, then it's your time to come in, right? In the, anytime in the last nine months, apparently, which is completely arbitrary. But that simply means that if you have gotten your recent shot, anytime in this last process, you're up to date. Anybody else, you have to get up to your current shot. Get all the way up to four or five, whatever their number is right now. I think it's five in Canada. If it happens anywhere in the nine, past nine months, all the way to five, you're good. But my point is, it's not going to be nine months from there you get your fifth shot, it's going to be three months or whatever the point is when these wane, which is what they're telling you. He admitted that they wane. We all know this already. So you're in for life, guys. In for life. Now, why would you step into that? What, and the point is they want people like us to think, oh my God, I'm in danger because I don't, I haven't destroyed my immune system with these genetic therapies, right? That doesn't make sense though. Nobody I know, which is just anecdotal, observational, who hasn't gotten these injections is ever getting sick or ever having a problem. That's not to say that there aren't people getting sick from that or anything else out there. But by and large, from everything we can see, including peer-reviewed studies, including observational data, including the data that they pump out and then censor, UK, New South Wales, Ontario, everywhere we've looked is showing you the same picture. Just banging my head against this brick wall. It's, it's, It's almost comical at this point. But- it means we're having an effect, guys. So pat yourself on the back for breaking through the garbage narrative they're pumping. People are still lost. Watch the clip from, from Jim Brewer in the beginning. He does the same thing. He's like, there are still people walking around like, you went outside without a mat. That's still happening. To this day, people are terrified and afraid to leave their homes. But it's a very small minority. But they would love for you to think it's everybody. Now, before we get back into everything, let's talk about a couple of things in regard to your freedom. And this does relate back into the bigger picture, guys. Constitutional rights, the whole thing, Ukraine, it all ties back in. We've made these clear before. But here's just a quick couple of quick points before we do a, a little bit of a focus on Ukraine for maybe 20, 30 minutes. New York Senate okays bill barring guns in Times Square. Now, we already talked about this, the New York gun laws in general restricting your constitutional rights. But what's interesting that I didn't see is requiring social media info for permit. Or just in general, social media tracking for buying, for getting permits, for being able to buy ammunition, guns, and so on. All of this, no matter what you think about whether people are illegally allowed to, this is a violation of your rights. And let me just make this 
contentious because that's where this should go. That's where people should have the courage to take it if they are truly standing by their principles and what these things mean is that if you're a criminal, there's you should still be able to have access to these rights, which is to be able to own a gun, to be able to, I mean, anything like this we've talked about in the past, just because somebody, let's say, goes to prison doesn't mean you can just arbitrarily remove their constitutional rights. That's not possible. Now just be, and how, let's take it even further. Somebody's a criminal. You could, you could, you could make it really contentious and make them a violent murderer criminal that used a gun or so on, which would, you know, that's a hard argument to make that somebody who's used a gun to hurt people should be allowed to have a gun. But the point is, it's not your right to dictate where those, if they, there is no end to your inalienable constitutional rights. Those things are arbitrarily put in by the government. But so let's say you go to law, you go to jail for marijuana sales and you get released out of prison. Why in the world do they have a right to tell you, you can't own a gun? Because they've made that some sort of action. They've made the, and it grows from there. The problem, though, is that people have accepted this. And you can even understand the logic. I don't want criminals to have guns. Well, who decides who's a criminal? That's right. The government does. And it becomes very subjective, especially when you apply it to nonviolent crimes, like having a piece of plant in your pocket. The bottom line, though, is that any kind of thing you add from there, it just gets more and more restrictive. Now, I know it's hard for people to recognize that first point, but that we because we're so far from that. And you can apply this to any right we're talking about. You don't get to argue fire in a theater concepts if you truly believe in free speech. The point comes down to whether he's a violent criminal or sold cannabis. If he commits a crime, he can be held accountable. He or she, with the same point. That's where it always comes back to. You went out and shot somebody. You went out and stole from somebody. You can get arrested for that. The idea that you're going to argue that they're going to commit a crime because they have before, it's completely subjective. Now, you could look at stats and say, Statistically speaking, people that do commit crimes tend to commit more. There's things you could argue, but this is why it becomes difficult to stand by things in a principled way in this kind of world we live in. And I'm going to get into the pre, because this is all leading to, towards something in regard to pre-crime. Because when you get into the field, this is where this all goes, by the way. This is the beginning of social credit pre-crime, especially with where the, so, the digital ID, the passport stuff. That's where this goes. Same concept applies to where they're going with climate change and environmental stuff. It all compounds. You're coming at, they're coming at you from every direction. Even if you think these are the right things to do, it's one by one being restricted and cornered into this panopticon of control. But this translates into social credit. This translates into pre-crime ideas where we can look at your social media and decide you look like you might do this based on certain algorithms. That's, they're talking about this. That can't be okay. But that's where they start. Oh, he's a criminal. He shouldn't have this. And you allow that and their foot's in the door. We're already there is the point. A New York City mandates review of social media accounts for gun permits. It talks about right here, the legislation to require background checks for ammunition purchases. Like what right do they have to do that? It all comes down to the idea that people have relinquished their control to the government because they'll keep you safe, which is not true. When's the last time the government stepped in when you were being robbed? When's the last time the government stepped in when somebody was hurting someone on the streets? When's the last time the police stepped in and stopped a crime in front of you? Think about it for a second. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. There's detectives, there's people that stumble into crime and stop it. But in 99% of the time, you are robbed, beaten up, and you call the police, they investigate. I'm not saying that's not serving a purpose. What I'm saying is the idea that you're being kept safe and protected is more of an illusion than anything. Now, you could argue that them being present in that context or that aspect, that you they, the idea, the phantom that they will or might show up, yes, that does stop people to some degree thinking that there's going to be consequences. 
I'll tell you what would stop them even more if they figured and thought everybody might have a gun. They'd sure as hell think twice before they just attack some random person, right? But of course, that's dangerous talk today. The the idea, though, is background checks for ammunition. It just simply creates this ridiculous situation where they're dictating, based on their own metrics that you aren't involved in, what you can do, then that directly violates your constitutional rights. Now, here's another point I just want to include before we jump over to uh, oh, just I guess smattering of points. This one has to do with the Roe versus, Ro versus Wade. And I thought people might find this interesting just to continue to show you how ridiculous and childish and subjective and willfully ignorant people are in the two party paradigm from all sides. By the way, here is Ruth Gator uh, or uh, Bader or what is it? I'm totally blanking. The, the justice Ruth Gator. I thought it was Bader Ginsburg. But it says RGB. Anyway, I'm confusing myself. You guys know who I'm talking about. And she's being asked about Roe versus Wade. Now, what she says here, it should it definitely should matter. Just listen for yourself. She's being you know, touted as some sort of champion of the opposite of this stance. But, you know, her stance seems to be pretty constitutional, to be quite honest. Listen for yourself that she disagrees, but she argues that the way that it went was the wrong direction. So that would seem to argue that rolling it back to the states is what she would agree with. But, you know, I'm not going to put words in her mouth. Think for yourself. Listen to what she has to say. But what you'll know is that, notice is this won't be discussed in the right way to argue that there's nuance to this conversation, as always. Shoot, I don't want to play the wrong one. Was it this one? No. Shoot, hold on one second. I Maybe I didn't download it. Give me a second. Thought I did. You know, I keep doing this, and then I swear I, <laughs> I was ninety-nine percent sure. Oh, there it is. Clinton became president. Um, you were obviously somebody being considered, and then President Clinton talked to somebody who was pushing for your appointment, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And President Clinton said, "Well, women don't want her." Now, how could that have been the case? When you were the leading lawyer in gender discrimination, why would women have not wanted you, or some women not wanted you on the Supreme Court? Just some women. Uh, most women uh, were over, overwhelmingly supportive, overwhelmingly supportive of my nomination. But I had uh, written a comment on Roe v. Wade, and it was not a hundred percent. Um, applauding that decision. What I said was the court had an easy target because the Texas law was the most extreme in the nation. Abortion could be had only if necessary to save the woman's life. Doesn't matter that her health would be ruined, that she was the victim of rape or incest. Which, by the way, is crazy. Like, let's just be, that's crazy to think that somebody can be molested or raped and we're going to be like, nope, sorry, it's not your choice. That seems kind of, that's ridiculous. Despite my personal opinions about personally thinking that's something that I don't think should be happening and something that I wouldn't do, but it should be the, the individual's right. I mean, that's just basic, in my opinion, when it comes to, and even again, coming to rights and constitutional rights, same point. Despite my religious stance or my, my belief on this, an individual has the right of their own body. In these, and these, again, this is what people don't like about my stance on this. It's just they, they want you to, it, it's, it is consistent in my opinion. You guys can disagree. But what she's saying is that, yeah, that's crazy, right? That that shouldn't, we should allow the, but then what happened in the way Roe versus Wade went, went way too far. I find that interesting. 
I thought Roe v. Wade was an easy case, and the Supreme Court could have held that most extreme law unconstitutional and put down its pen. Instead, the court wrote an opinion that made every abortion restriction in the country illegal in one fell swoop. Now, is that, I mean, see, I, I haven't, I even take issue with the terminology, right? What she said is that really what they could have done was made that extreme rule, ruled on that specifically. Well, Texas can't do this because that's too far. But instead, as we know, Roe versus Wade, it made this big ruling. But does that then make it illegal? Like, does a precedent from the Supreme Court immediately translate to whether or not states can make? I just, I, I don't, I, I would like to speak to a constitutional law, a lawyer about something like that. Like, I don't understand how that makes sense. Supreme Court and precedents are meaningful, but why would they would immediately translate as just, like, just, that's the point about Roe versus Wade in and of itself. They just made this some kind of standing precedent and acted like that was a constitutional right. And it's not. Despite the fact that I think from a constitutional standpoint, a woman should be able to make the choice about her own body. But to argue that it's a right to be able to abort a, bo- a baby, just that's, that's again, this is where it becomes political. But I just it's interesting. That seems to challenge what she, they would argue her stance would be. And that was not the way that the court ordinarily operates. You know, it waits... It, it waits till the next case and the next case. Anyway, it was that, that that some women felt that I should have been 100% in favor of Roe v. Wade, and it, because I wasn't. She wasn't. That's the point, because she was not in favor of Roe v. Wade. Think about that. That's, if, if you're out there arguing and using her or whatever with those I support the current thing billboards with her name on it, like, and you're ignoring this, you're dumb. I mean, that's ridiculous. You have to have a, a nuanced, honest conversation about that. And if she doesn't agree with it, how in the world can you attack the Supreme Court ruling if somebody are using as the standing, as the, as the, the base for your argument for why that was wrong? who doesn't even agree with it fully. I mean, it just seems ridiculous to me, but this is most things in the two-party paradigm. And that was not the way that the court ordinarily operates. That's an interesting point. And that's the big point about why I argue this rollback to the states is what is a, a good first step. Regardless of if the states then go even further, that needs to be addressed there. But to roll it back to the states even further down, that's a step in the right direction. That's more freedom for the people in, in their areas, as opposed to the federal government just telling you what to do. Well, her point is that's not how the courts operate. They don't just usually go, boom, for everything, all across the board because of one ruling. Precedents work like that, but not in the case, they, like she said, they usually wait for more cases to develop. So why did it happen that way? Because there was more going on behind the scenes. Now, again, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I, I guess he just mistyped it. That was what was confusing me. I was like, wait a minute. I thought that was the other way around. Now, in foreign policy, a couple quick points. The U.S. finds Israeli gunfire did, in fact, which you already knew because Robert already told you this with the data and the the facts on the ground, and I I reported it as well, that Israeli gunfire did, in fact, kill Palestinian-American journalists, but, of course, says there's no reason to believe it was intentional. Oh, I see. So so murder's off the hook when you just go, I didn't mean it. It was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot her a couple times in the chest. My bad. Think about how dumb that is. Washington Post. And guess what? Nothing is going to happen. Wah, wah, our bad. You know, the, the, the forlorn here, we tried real hard to do the right thing and we accidentally murdered somebody. Our bad. We were fighting for freedom, though. That's all they get. That's all they need because they will cover for each other. 
the, the Western governments and Israel that will work together to do things like this. That should drive you crazy. That should boil your blood. She was murdered. A journalist, an American journalist from the context of why Biden, let's say, won't care about some and not others. It is, it's no more relevant than it, it should matter the same, whether it's a Palestinian, American, Israeli, it doesn't matter. An individual being murdered by a government should matter. The point is, from Biden's standpoint, he will flip out about things happening in Ukraine. But what about this American journalist that just got murdered by Israeli bullets that we can now prove? Silence. Because they don't care about any of them. They use what they can for political reasons. These people are sociopaths. Upsetting. Now on to Ukraine. This is interesting. You already knew this because, again, we reported this already. But as another update, July 1st, 2022, CIA recruits ISIS fighters from the SDF-run prisons in Syria to fight in Ukraine. Isn't that interesting? So totally fake news. The CIA is working to build, you know, fascist enemies to throw at Russia while they literally shuffle in ISIS fighters that they pretend they're fighting. Guys, this is obvious, and it's been happening since the beginning of ISIS, since before that as Ben Swan's documentary points out from the origins of ISIS itself, Mujahideen to Al-Qaeda to ISIS, much more in between all those, but that's the essential line. And that is your government, guys, the Western governments that are building and arming and continuing. And as they point out, they're operating out of Al-Tamf in Syria, which again is exactly the point because they are using that area to grow these things, to build them, to protect them. And it's been proven more times than I can count. And they act like they're protecting people. It's a intern, it's a prison camp, essentially. There's plenty of Syrians that are trapped there. There's plenty of ISIS entities that are allowed to run rampant there. There's reports of rape and murder and everything in, in there by these people because nothing's your government that's operating. It doesn't care. But the point here is to translate this to Ukraine, where they're doing just like they did from Libya to Syria. They're bringing in the people they used before to continue to use them. Interesting, but let's but let's draw the line that, at arming Nazis because that just that's impossible, right? <laughs> Despite the evidence and the history and the documentation, it's all fake news in fantasy world. The U.S. has been accused of recruiting hundreds of ISIS, Hayatul Sham, and Al Qaeda militants, all in the same wheelhouse, to fight on the side of Kiev. You know, Kiev, where the CIA has their central location, where they operate out from, which we just discussed, which was just revealed for the third time. The CIA is actively working to recruit ISIS militants imprisoned in the U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces, which is not what they are, in southeast Syria to join the fight against Russian, the Russian army in Ukraine. According to an informed source who spoke with the Sputnik News, of course, that'll give them all the reason they can to dismiss this. By the way, this is a fact. This has been proven many, I think twice now, in regard to the evidence that they're bringing people from Syria. Now, you can quibble about whether they're ISIS fighters, but let's understand that moderate rebels and the whole narrative there, that's been exposed. We know what they actually were. They can pretend, and the average, it's sort of how the people I mentioned before can still act like WMDs were, you know, it's not that they didn't exist, we just didn't find them. Come on, don't be a child. That was a story that's been wildly debunked. There were no WMDs, same kind of idea here. We're so far kind of distanced now from Syria in the context of how fast the news works, that it's now that they're, well, well they were bad guys. No, the moderate rebels were the ISIS, the ISIS entities and Hayat Tyrell Shams that your government were working with and arming to stop Assad because their agenda was to do that. Was not freedom. Wasn't about anything other than their agenda. That's the important part. So, because I came from Sputnik News, yes, you should ask. I guarantee Russia probably lied or fabricated certain things that would are in their interest, like any government would. But it still is something that's happening. The U.S. Army is transferring the militants to the Altamp military base, 
in Syria to provide them with the necessary training, sort of like what they're doing in Ukraine. The transfers are taking place under the pretext of conducting additional investigations. Classic. The Kurds have so far handed over several high-ranking leaders and about 90 ISIS fighters to the American side. Kurds serving their purpose, most of whom are citizens of European Union countries in Iraq, as well as immigrants from the Chechnya and uh, Zhejiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in China, according to the Sputnik source. Quote, in the future, Washington intends to send these militants to Ukraine so they can take part in hostilities against the Russian armed forces. Now, when we continue to talk about things that are happening there, you know, all sorts of terrible acts, let's realize why that's even more likely. Just the Nazi elements are enough, but how about bringing over all sorts of extremists to throw at them as much as possible? Yes, when you hear these terrible things happening, let's acknowledge that it's at least likely, possible, I should say, that it's not always the Russia bad guy. Here is the newest story we're seeing in the conflict. This came out yesterday. Explosions hit Russia's Belgorod as governor says air defense is triggered. Now, this is just like the other stories. The Russian governor says, at least from the corporate media, as far as I can tell, I'll explain why I think it's a little more clear than that. And I made this point earlier today when I was speaking with somebody. You'll notice a very, very stark difference between things that seem to happen in a vacuum, you know, like where all you get is this one witness from, you know, somebody that you find out later worked for USAID or, you know, has a CIA background. Oh, just so happened to be in Ukraine that day, right? That kind of stuff. And then a bunch of cited people that we talked to that you never get to prove they even spoke to or that showed up after the fact. Now, not to say that proves it didn't happen, but that's what you get when arguably it seems like something that they're, they're lying about. Bucha, Comstock, train station, all these different things. But then we have this event. Now, what you'll see, in my opinion, which is very starkly different, is that you have lots of people watching things, videos from the ground and all sorts of commentary. Now, understand that you go in the middle of Africa these days in certain, you know, specific, depends on how really dire the area is, but you go in Africa in places in the middle of Africa and you'll find people's cell phones all over the place. You go all over the Middle East, people have cell phones. The idea that we pretend that it's not like that is, look, the, it's ubiquitous today. Now, there's plenty of places that don't have it, can't afford things like that. But the point is in Ukraine and in Russia, everybody's got phones like anywhere else. Most people do. And you can see this evidence by people you could talk to in regard to the, and again, lower places, more, you know, what's the, people that have less money wouldn't be able to afford them. But you know that there are phones all over Ukraine. So my point is when these things happen, where are all the videos? Where are all the people that just happen to go up, oh, up, oh, caught that? Look at the look at the rocket flying I just caught in the air. Well, what you'll see is that is happening today in this in this Russian story, which seems to suggest to me that it's in a not not in a vacuum in some studio or some lie, but a real thing happening. Now that's not proof. What I'm saying though is that where it's an obvious example when you see all these videos, the average person in their balcony watching things explode or seeing things from the the, the house on fire because of the bombs. Now, that doesn't prove that it necessarily couldn't have been Russia who fired on themselves to blame Ukraine. Certainly possible. But shouldn't we ask for proof on something like that? Same way we do in reverse, right? But what you don't see all this stuff. Where is all the social media flow of such a massive event? All these people getting murdered in Bucha and yet nobody posts any video from anywhere? Come on, guys. There's an obvious manipulation there. Or at least we should ask that question. So going into this story, consider that. It seems to be a pretty stark example. At least three people were killed and dozens of homes were damaged by explosions in the Russian city of Belgorod near the Ukraine border, according to Russian authorities. 
Now, as well as a lot of other people on social media, people on the ground, again, not like you saw anywhere else in Ukraine, right? But, and of course they reported as explosions, but that's just being, what they're claiming is not bombs went off, explosions went off, but that they were bombed. And I'll get into that more in a second. Belgorod governor said this, said this, reported, right? So that's, again, you should be like, well, he could be lying. Three people were dead and several others hurt, including a 10-year-old child and a man who was hospitalized in serious condition. Gladkov wrote, the, the uh, governor wrote in a post on his Telegram messaging app, at least 11 apartment buildings, 11, and 39 houses, that's crazy, sustained damage, including five that were destroyed. So if this was Ukraine, that's a big deal. This is, this is, the, this is like what Ukraine continues to do in Donetsk. Donetsk. They continue to bomb into civilian territory despite the fact that there's no line there. That's been undeniably shown. Your corporate media just ignores this. Gladaw, and by the way, they owned that before all this started because they claim they're, I mean, this, when the, the whole Donbass region has been ethnically cleansed and attacked and bombed as plenty of journalists have proven long before this started. So acting like it's completely out of the realm of possibility that they would do it again while this is happening is just ridiculous. But the, the governor said that the cause of the blast is under investigation and that air defenses, quote, was supposedly triggered, which is interesting, right? Look at that. It says air defense is triggered. That's a quote. They put that in quotes. So either Newsweek is bad at their job and doesn't understand that when you quote something, it has to be exact and or are just left out. My guess is that there's some the, the idea where they say. Where was it? I just went too far where they say supposedly triggered is either added because they want it to sound, you know, because I don't find that in other, other reports. And I find it even more interesting that when they compare to their own title, they leave that out. So one of them's got to be true. One of them's got to be wrong. You can decide for yourself. Interesting, isn't it? But we know that corporate media loves to stick those things in there. Now, just because he says supposedly triggered, it could just be that he's saying, I wasn't involved in that. I was told they were triggered. But every report, Reuters and everybody else, are, reports that the air defenses were triggered according to Russia. Several videos of the purported airstrike emerged on social media. Now, that happens everywhere in a real context. That's the point. Anywhere you see that, you'll see instant reports of people on the ground and people being told, or my grandma told me, reporting, typing things. You don't, where is that in Ukraine? Including one posted by Igor Gurkin, a former Russian military commander. Another shared by reporter Kyle Glenn appeared to show a residential building on fire. Just a smattering. People that are tied to Russia, people that aren't, people that are just on the ground. But of course, because you have a Russian name, therefore you're a shill right? or work for Putin, according to anybody in the corporate media today. We're right back in Russiagate all over again. Now, you can watch these videos for yourself. I mean, it just pretty much shows you the, the bomb, the rocket or whatever it is hitting, right? Things like that, showing you the building on fire. Russian lawmaker uh, Klishas accused Ukraine of shelling Belgorod and called for a severe response. Now, just at this point, you can obviously see a contrast here, right? So when, when Ukraine says anything happens, last time they did that, we already went over this, no evidence to really back up other than, again, Maxar technology satellite images that they we can't, that are completely subjective and un, they lied last time. They got caught. So when Ukraine says something happens, you get Macron, you get Biden, you get everybody going, they should be held accountable, human rights investigations. Well, where's the evidence? Did you even ask for evidence or does it just Ukraine said, therefore we should move to action? Well, here we are in reverse. Exact same situation. Russia says they did this. Does anybody care? So at e the very first level, you can see that w the Western people, in their, the agenda on the surface, are willing to blindly take Ukraine's, despite how many times they've already been caught lying.
not Russia, Ukraine, over and over and over. That Russia could have been lying about plenty. They haven't been caught for it yet. But we see clearly Ukraine keep getting caught. Even the woman, the official that just got fired and admitted she lied about the whole Russian rape story. And that still gets referenced. The point is that why would you why would you take them at face value but ignore the other side of it? Because you have an agenda. Quote, the death of civilians and the destruction of civilian infrastructure in Belgorod are a direct act of aggression on the part of Ukraine and require the most severe, including a military response, according to Russia. In Russian accounts could not be independently verified, and Ukraine has not claimed responsibility. Now, that's interesting. What I find the most ridiculous about the next part, as always, Russian, like, again, why, I don't know, just the, the, the are, are the jobs of the journalists supposed to be to verify facts, not just regurgitate what they're told from every side? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so frustrating how they've fallen into the background of just stenographers for whatever side they're on. And we're the fake news, right? But Ukraine has not claimed responsibility. So it's interesting. So they're saying they didn't do it or they are they just not taking responsibility for it. What you're going to find here is they both they act like we didn't do anything, but then go, but they deserve it. But then later follow up and say, but they faked it, though. Oh, OK. So did they fake it or did they deserve it or did you not do it yourself? Like if they faked it, you'll see what I mean. It's it's you can't they you whoever's running the Ukraine agenda and the statements they make, they do not know what they're doing. They are really clumsy with this. It says Ukraine has described the incidents as payback and karma for Russia's actions, according to Reuters. Right. So it's payback. We didn't do it, though. The general staff of Ukraine's armed forces said its air force has flown some 15 sorties in virtually all directions of hostilities. Why would you say that? So we flew in every direction, including that one. And they deserve it. But we didn't. We didn't we're not taking responsibility. That seems pretty dumb, doesn't it? I mean, you should, if you're going to do that, you just go, no comment. Saying they deserve it is a pretty obvious thing to do because these people aren't good at what they do. These are a bunch of rogue people that have been pushed into positions that are bad people. They're not politicians. They, they, don't, they don't understand how this stuff works on a world stage. I mean, clearly based on their clumsy actions. But the general staff of Ukraine's armed forces said its air force had flown in 15 directions. So that being one of them. So is that sort of an admission? Seems like it. So he's saying those are single air quotes. Yeah, that's exactly the point, bud. Thanks for pointing that out. Now it says Alexa- uh, Alexander Sherba, a Ukrainian diplomat, said the incidents in Belgorod were well-deserved. Again, well-deserved. Now, Belgorod and Kharkiv, across the border from Ukraine, used to be good neighbors, but not anymore. They wrote on Twitter, alongside a clip of the blast, for four months, Belgorod enthusiastically shelled Kharkiv every night. Now, first of all, whether that's in fact what happened is up for debate, but we know that that was an area that was a a front line. So the point was that that was not a civilian area at the point. These were people that were held there against their will, as we've heard endlessly when they flee from the Ukraine control. But we also know that they were fighting from that location. So obviously in war, there are guidelines that nobody seems to follow. But the point is you're supposed to be, you know, you don't shell into civilian territory. So when you shell away from the front line all the way into Belgorod and act like that's payback for what you did during a front line battle is ridiculous. But that's essentially what they're admitting. It says, but basically, because they, they enthusiastically, enthusiastically shelled the area we were standing in, in our front line fighting area. But it says, now someone targets Belgorod. Whoever does it, it's well-deserved. <laughs> really? Who falls for that? That's like a six-year-old going with chocolate on their mouth. Go, I didn't need it. It was, it was over there. Like, it's so obvious. 
whoever did it, eh, good job. <laughs> it's like, my God, makes you laugh out loud. But it says several pro-Ukraine telegram channels and independent Russian media outlets also claimed the airstrike was a provocation by the Russian forces, citing photos purportedly showing remains of a missile from the Russian-made Panzer artillery system. Newsweek could not independent immediately verify the claims. Let me go ahead and take a shot in the dark. Newsweek will never verify those claims. They don't want to because they're probably not real. Now, that's just a hypothetical. But my point is they never follow up. They don't go back and go, we ver- followed up and check those, those photos. And because they, I, the, the idea of just floating it, no, they know the people that are on their side are going to just say, oh, Russia did it. That's Russia. Russia, bad guy. Well, there's a couple things to add right there. First of all, citing photos, where they come from? Who took these photos? And do we know that was actually what's on the ground? That's just questions we should be asking. And that's what Newsweek is not going to do. We didn't, we're not going to verify it. Well, first of all, the Panzer missile system, it's not old, 2012 to present. It's currently a system that Russia is using. So it's not like the ones we made before, but the Soviet weapons they're using, which are, you know, so I ask myself, okay, that's interesting. So this seems to be the first example of them pointing at a weapon system saying Russia used it. Remember, they lied about Bucha, they lied about Kromstock, they lied about all these. The Tochka U missile, they did that. And it's like, well, they're not using that missile. That's a Soviet era weapon. And just since I'm going to bring it up, I'm sure. We know that the U.S. government has already been caught sending Soviet era weapons secretly to Ukraine because that's totally not a big deal. Right. But this isn't that. So I thought, OK, well, let's see. Let's see just from Wikipedia if there's anything interesting. And guess what? I thought it was quite interesting that it turns out the armed forces of Ukraine have captured three Russian Panzer systems during the war. Now, that doesn't prove that they use that system, but it does put a little bit of doubt in the mix, doesn't it? So seeing as how Ukraine has access to those exact systems, shouldn't we ask whether maybe they fired that system to make it look like Russia? Not very hard to wrap your mind around, is it? But again, it could just as likely be Russia doing that. But then you have to ask, what makes sense? Why would Russia do that with their own missile systems, knowing they would be like, well, that's your system. (laughs) That's dumb. At the very least, they would argue, arguably use a Soviet-era thing, which I would then go probably Ukraine. That would make sense, right? But it doesn't this way. They're not that dumb, unless they're thinking that many steps ahead. Maybe they're extra smart. <laughs> I mean, it can get convoluted. But the point is, we don't know. That's the correct answer. We don't know. But we do have plenty of evidence to suggest that the Ukrainians already have the government access to these systems. But that won't be discussed anywhere in this report. Not at all. Just like all the rest of it, this questions that they don't want to address. Now, uh, Taras uh, Mishinko, the founder of the Ukrainian technology website, said photos of the damaged buildings that were shared on Telegram by the uh, the the was it the governor, or the Russian the Russian official had been edited. Okay, so he says they've been edited. Where is any kind of investigation? There's not even a follow. They, they cite what he says and they move on to the end of the article. Were they edited? Did you look at them? You know how easy it would be for them to send you something Newsweek to take a look at? They don't even want to address it. They just love to say they said it's fake news. Move on. That's not journalism. That's regurgitation. It says Russians are using Photoshop on Photoshop <laughs> on photos of residential buildings in Belgrade to fabricate their destruction. So now you see, now it gets all ridiculous. Now, what, now it was a false flag. Were they faking it? But wait a minute. I don't see how that can be a Photoshopped image. What do you think? You see, these people are bad at what they do. They don't understand that there are people on the ground that can just take photo images and see these things exploding in real time. Oh, the Photoshop. 
right? It's not a still shot, guys, but that's what they're saying down here. Understand, Russians are using Photoshop on photos of the buildings we just showed you to fabricate their destruction. And people, everyone's talking about, I, I, I can, I mean, just a quick side point, guys. I don't understand why we're so quick to jump on every shooting that happens. Like somebody, apparently six people dead, a shooting just happened. Okay, that's sad. That's sad. It's not a story until it becomes something that they like to jump on this and try to pick through it and comb through something that looks out of whack. It, that's what they want from us, isn't it? Shootings are terrible. But what about all the shootings that happen in Baltimore, Chicago, and everything they just don't talk about? Right? Let's not be led by the nose into the idea that we everything's a false flag thing they want to frame us as. Certainly, if there is things questionable, as you know, I will always point those things out. Well, I, like, like, for instance, I was going to get into the Patriot Front discussion again. I decided to push it off because it just doesn't seem like it matters right, right now anyway. Plenty of, I've got a whole file right now of evidence of them getting into U-Hauls and, and them police chiefs saying we knew they were working with the government, all sorts of things. But until it becomes a bigger story, it seems like a waste of time because it's such an obvious psyop and obviously not going, there's not getting traction. The Boston ones I'm talking about. But anyway, these things seem a little bit more important. But going forward to the next part, Moscow blames Ukrainian missile attack for deaths in the South Russian city. It's one point I want to make here. And this is the follow-up, which it says, uh, the uh, Koneshkinov said Russian air defenses, and this was, by the way, where was his name? The, the defense, yeah, the defense ministry. That's what I thought. The Russian defense ministry spokesman said that Russian air defenses had, in fact, destroyed three Tochka-U missiles. Well, that's interesting. But fragments of one of them fell in residential buildings which we just showed you. And they're denying that by saying they Photoshop things. He said that they also had destroyed explosives laden Ukrainian drone approaching drones approaching Kursk, another city in southern Russia. Reuters could not immediately confirm the claims. It's love how they, just throw, they, they didn't even used to say that. But okay, the interesting point here is that we're talking about Toshka U missiles. According to Russia, by the way, now that would make sense to me to argue that they were Soviet era because that's not something they use. So that could easily be a Russian lie. But very least, it seems to be kind of convoluted. So what were they, 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 ultimately it would make sense to me that if this was something Ukraine did do, which in my opinion makes the most sense based on everything they've already done, everything they've already been caught for lying and why Russia would do that to their own people with missiles that would blame them. Well, it goes on and on. It seems like it's common sense, but we shouldn't fall into one count, one argument. But this seems to suggest that they would fire these, call them something else, maybe Photoshop their own images of those videos, of those <laughs> missiles. That's why they would say that. See, that's what they keep doing, by the way, doing what they're doing and then just saying Russia did it. They're very bad at this. But here, just so we're clear on this, by the way, why I think this part of it's important. Russia had stopped using these all the way back in 2016 and they're old and they're outdated. They're using something much better. It doesn't mean they don't have them. They do. That's, that is important to understand. So it could be something they can fake. But Ukraine's army has already been caught using these. Of course, the corporate media doesn't like to point at this one. This is a local expert. Not, you know, this is Ukraine expert saying they are using Toshka U rockets in fatal Donetsk missile attack. This is in 2022, March 17th. So we know they have them. We know they've used them. That's important. We also know the one that was in fact used on the Kramastork train station was in the same series. In fact, the same, the, the very same military unit of the, of the missiles that they used in the past. This is right here. This is the number. You can check this stuff for yourself. I did an entire show on this or segment. This is the number of the Toshka U rockets shot down near Debal in the year 2015. If you compare this number with the number of the rockets that they did fire, because remember, we, the, the mathematical certainty of where it could have come from is only Ukrainian territory. 
you can see that they are not just in the same series, but even the same military unit. It's very obvious what's happening here, guys. Now, supply chain discussions, which is how this bleeds over from Ukraine into everything else. This is the frustrating part about this. I keep showing this stuff. Here is a Ukrainian helicopter attempting to burn the wheat fields in Kherson by shooting flares into the fields. Exactly what they're doing in Syria, exactly what they did to the Iranians, exactly what they did in Venezuela, not exactly necessarily shooting flares in the wheat fields, but attacking their food supply to make them food, food insecure, starve them in Yemen and everywhere else. But, but it, this is what they do, guys. If you think this is hard to believe, it's everywhere. This is just, it's the frustrating part is, as I said, this is what it looks like to create a food shortage in order to blame your opposition. A common tactic of the U.S. government, i.e. Iran, Yemen, Venezuela, Syria, and on and on. Putin, hashtag Putin's food shortage, hashtag supply chain, CIA, Azov movement. It's just, it's so obvious and it's, it's disgusting. And then on that same note, remember that we've already proven this to you, that the mines, as I, I had it up, I think before. Yep, there we go. This is, this is from India today. This is back before they made the argument about the mines, where they just casually reported that they had mined the seawater themselves in order, as a military strategy, to avoid Russian naval invasion to entirely mine the seawater. That was a Ukraine statement before this discussion. Then when they wanted to blame Russia for it, they just circled back and said, Russia won't let them wheat out of the territory. No, they mined it, guys. And it took. they're still demining it to this day. And here's what Russia said, is they're ready to ensure free passage of ships with grain into the international waters if Ukraine simply contributes to the demining of the ports. But we don't want to talk about that. La, 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 not happening because we don't want to admit that that's the reality. Or like we have Russian ships with oil coming in from to New Orleans and they're trying to stop it via sanctions, but because there's some kind of legal sidestep, they allowed it. But the point is, if even if it was Russian oil, they would have not allowed it. So who's actually stopping things here? Now, we can see, by the way, that there are places all around the world that are losing it right now, and rightly so, because their government is saying it's more important to virtue signal to the world than make sure you can eat. You know, just take it on the chin for, the, for Ukraine and freedom, even though you can't afford to go to work anymore. Which, by the way, is not even actually what's happening. They're creating this under the guise that it's all Putin's fault, but they're doing this to you. But guess what, guys? There's people all over the world, and I do not advocate for violence, but I understand how people can be driven to it. Sri Lanka uh, orders offensive to contain the rioters as they're burning down uh, uh, parliament buildings. And not look at I me, mean, look at this stuff, guys. People have lost it. And they have a right to be upset because their government put them in an insecure position for something that has nothing to do with them. It's all over the place. This was just another report about Sri Lanka. Saying that their economy has collapsed. That's the prime minister speaking himself. You can watch this for yourself. Here's Libya. Anti-inflation, anti-government, frustrated with rising costs of living, the people storm parliament. I think that's what I was referencing. And now happening everywhere, right? And here's the thing, guys. This is what they want to frame as the reason they're afraid of you and the, and the Republicans that are fighting over the government. It's not just the Republicans. It's the people. They are upset. And this is what they want to frame as only a fringe group. But it's not. These are people that are fed up with government ruining their lives under a guise of what's best for everyone when it's not. And that this is, I mean, this is the whole eat the rich argument. They want to make it out there. This is why they look at all of us as terrorists, because they know we see what they are today increasingly. But this is only going to drive action. I argue to some degree, it's kind of what they want to happen. So civilian military fatalities during unrest in Uzbek, according to the Uzbek president. I think Uzbekistan, I believe. But in any case, it's happening all over, guys. Now, 
this is all driving us into this direction, whether it's from a biosecurity state or from a pre-crime social credit kind of idea, technocracy state. Ingrid points out creepy surveillance that bypasses individual consent to be tested. This is from Sky News in regard to polio. But we've already talked about this sort of like wastewater testing and so on. It's building around you right now from ultimate, from many different angles. Source of polio virus could be narrowed down to individual households or streets. As it says, the source of the polio virus, which I mean, who knows if that's even what's happening, was discovered in London sewage works and it could be narrowed down to a house or street. That's so incredibly alarming to think, what if they just knocked your door and said, we've traced this back to your house. You're all on lockdown. Do you get to say no? You know, damn well, that's not what's right now. That's not on the table. If the government showed up and said, we think you're all sick, you can't leave. You know, no is not an option. No is not even an option for the vaccine administration. They claim is something you get to choose. You just get to, you just, you just get to postpone your yes is all they get. You have yes and you have not right now. That's the only two choices they're giving people. And even not right now is increasingly being attacked. Now, that's not to suggest that you don't have the right to say no. That's what they're giving you. It's, it is normal for one of these. This is crazy, by the way. It says it is normal for one to three vaccine-like polio viruses to be detected each year in UK sewage samples. But they have always been one-off findings. What do you mean vaccine-like? I mean, it doesn't even go into an explanation. Oh, I guess it does. Oh, it looks like I missed that. That's interesting. Oh, let me read it then. I guess I missed that. It says, reaching out to parents whose children were not vaccinated, it says, but he he said the message from government was clear as he urged everyone to ensure, no, that's his vaccines up to date. The minister also said it was likely the virus was shed by someone who was recently vaccinated against polio in another country. Holy crap, think about that. I'm surprised, I'm glad I didn't miss that. Well, what's still, by the way, just before I lose it, they don't talk about, what do you mean vaccine-like polio viruses? Why are we even talking about this? I mean, this seems like a, 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 a carryover to the Omicron discussion. So they're telling you vaccinated people can shed this and get people sick. Why then why in the world are we acting like that's not possible for everything else? The minister said it was likely the virus was shed by someone who was recently vaccinated against polio in another country. So the vaccine caused this to happen. It's pretty simple. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but maybe maybe this is what's this. We just have to ask these questions, guys. And the reality on the ground is that seems to be what the data suggests is happening today. And I'll get into this right next to this next point. The pre-crime and the idea of the possible self-spreading vaccine idea, which we've gone over a million times. Quote, it is mixed up with a lot of other stuff, said Lord Kamal. Quote, but what we have got to try and work out now is how we go along the pipe, as it were and investigate individual pipes to see where we can locate the source. So the point of the tweet is basically following this back during with wastewater, and there's no consent. You don't get to agree to be tested. They can track this right to your front door. And who's to say they're not lying? Who's to say they're not wrong? Who's to say they're not using PCR testing and acting like they know? This is crazy. And it's exactly like they said, like they're talking about. Bypassing your consent. That's the large point here. And this is exactly what we get into in the, the pre-crime discussion, whether it's medical pre-crime or criminal pre-crime. Algorithm claims to predict crime in U.S. cities before it happens. Now, what's weird about this, this is from June 30, 2022. They've had, like, they've been doing this for a decade. Bill Barr talked about this in 2020, 2019, 2020. Exactly the same kind of thing. New studies suggest that this could, blah, blah, blah. So why are they doing it the same way? Why wouldn't they have rolled it out yet? Because they're testing the waters. This has been done and ready for a long time. Algorithm claims to predict crime. Now, even if it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. 
It's about telling you that you're going to commit a crime. And once they set this, once the artificial intelligence conversation comes out, you know, they keep floating the idea that it went sentient, sentient, and then they say, no, it didn't. That's a lie. What happens if they just go forward like uh, Eric Schmidt pointed out and say, well, we're just going to trust the AI. And, you know, their choices they make might seem a little bit immoral, but we have to listen to it. That's actually what they said. Paraphrasing. So here we come to the situation where the AI says, you're a criminal. You're going to you're going to break the law tomorrow. Well, sorry, guys, we have to acquiesce to the AI because they know. Now, that's not that crazy of a future. Now, it says a, a new computer algorithm can now forecast crime in a big city near you, apparently. The algorithm, which, by the way, in the past, when they've showed you the stats have been ridiculous. The algorithm, which was formulated by social scientists, social scientists at the University of Chicago and touts 90 percent accuracy. I highly doubt it. Divide cities into a thousand square foot tiles, according to a study published in Nature Human Behavior. Researchers used historical data on violent crimes and property crimes from Chicago to test the model. Oh, I see. So you you input the data, which is biased. And, oh, excuse me, I take that back. This is biased because they're referencing the old model. My point's going to be that it's the same thing you're going to see. But the old model was very biased because you input your perceptions. This is a bad neighborhood. This person, these people break. And then it feeds from that. It says, which detects patterns over time in these tiled areas and tries to predict future events. It performed just as well using data from other big cities, including Atlanta, Los Angeles, Philadelphia. The study showed. Wait a minute. Did I? No. Okay. I take it back. So sorry to confuse you guys. Down here, it makes this argument. You'll see what I mean. So this is about the current, the current data. Now tell me how that's not bias. You're taking data, which they collected as individuals on violent crimes. Now, are they collecting data on certain neighborhoods more than others? Yes. Now, is that because they commit more crimes over there? Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. But you see how there's subjective aspects to that. So they're going to be the, they're focusing on certain areas. That's going to guide this to focus on certain areas. What if you just moved in the area? Are you then a criminal? Or if you just, you know, do you see how that works? And that's what we're talking about today. Emily, and then also don't forget how it can be used by people that aren't even trusting the algorithm and just saying this is what it says or altering what they input so they get a different result. Emily M. Bender, professor of linguistics at University of Washington, said in a series of tweets that the focus should be on targeting underlying inequities, starting to sound familiar, rather than on predictive policing. So we're going to focus on the people that are less, I mean, so it's equal, right? So you got arrested yesterday, so we're going to focus over there today. That's not how crime works, guys. It's not equitable. Well, this is while also noting that the research appears to ignore securities fraud on environmental crimes. Focusing on carbon footprint, environmental crimes, inequities. This is the same thing. They're building this to police what they want to police. In 2012, the, the Chicago Police Department, along with academic researchers, implemented the crime and victimization risk model. So this is the one I was pointing out before. This is a broken, ridiculous case. They probably, my opinion, maybe did this just to be able to point to this and say, that didn't work. Here's the one that does. The model assigned a score that determines how urgently people on the list needed to be monitored. Still the same thing that happens today. They're deciding whether or not to monitor you. And a higher score meant that they were more likely to be perceived as either a potential victim or perpetrator of a gun crime. But after a lengthy legal battle, Chicago Sun-Times investigation revealed in 2017, nearly half of the people identified by the model as potential perpetrators had never been charged with illegal gun possession, while 13% had never even been charged with a serious crime. In contrast, the tool designate. So what you should be asking is what mo- what metrics did they put in to come up with those people being criminals? I'm sure you can guess. In contrast, the tool designed by Chato Pada, whatever that, that's interesting, by this person and his colleagues 
uses hundreds of thousands of sociology patterns to figure out the risk of crime in a particular time and space. But it doesn't matter. You're pumping in data by, from what you believe meets those the socio sociological patterns. Now, are you believing that people are being focused on unjustly? And so you're going to focus on other places. And so those, yes, people have their own political, but especially today, their own political lens. This is not, this is never going to, we cannot allow them to tell you you're going to do something wrong tomorrow. The study, Event Level Prediction of Urban Crime Reveals Signature of Enforcement Bias in U.S. Cities, is the whole title, was supported by, guess who, guys? The Department, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. Why in the world is DARPA involved with this? Because it ties back to larger programs. It always has. It is about creating a situation where they can monitor, track, and control you. That's what's happening. And we've already talked about this as it goes into things like, you know, we're talking about consent here. Remember, you don't, you just have to do what you're told in this context. And remember, Bill Barr was under Trump's administration. This has all been building together, whether it's Biden or Trump, it's the same. They're handing the baton. Then Biden will hand the baton to the next person, whether Trump or whoever, it's going to continue. And what, which is most ridiculous is if Trump, let's say, gets elected again, these very things they're upset about will suddenly become good because Trump's control again, in control again. Sort of how, you know, uh, Guantanamo Bay was the worst thing ever, a stain on our reputation. And then suddenly Trump's in power. Yay, freedom. And Clinton's are going there. And yeah, yeah, that happened, didn't it? Come on, guys. The point is that this is about removing your consent or removing your, your involvement in any of this. And we know with self-spreading vaccines and how this is all going forward is going to be used in the same way. So this is about the security state, pre-crime. But that also translates to the biosecurity state, to medical pre-crime. It's the same concept. So we talk about the idea that they've already done stuff like this by releasing things in the environment that you don't have a say on that can affect your life, your health. Scientists accused DARPA back in 2018 of genetically modifying insects for bioweapons to spread agricultural disease. Oh, but that's on T-Lab's website. That's probably fake news, right? Well, let's just look at, oh, that's the wrong one. Let's look at, you know, in the fake news site, the independent, which they are to some degree. U.S. military plan to spread viruses using insects could create new class biological weapon. Scientists warn. A lot of them, by the way. Hundreds, I think it was tens of thousands signed this petition about how this is a bioweapon, guys. The point is, this is a lot of the stuff that they do. DARPA is funding nanoparticles that permeate brain to read neural signals. Did that already happen? They already released them? Would you even know? Well, there's a big point to be made here about bioethics and whether or not they decide that it should be covert or overt. 2018, weird time frame, right around the time that they were doing exactly that, you know, making things that you wouldn't be allowed to consent. So they rationalize and say, well, you know, if we're going to do it, knowing it's the right thing, of course, that we should do it covertly. We've shown you this. It's an argument they've made many times. It's in their best interest, the dumb morons. So let's just do it anyway without telling them because they won't understand. That's what your government thinks, guys. That's what your scientists, the people in this field think. Before we get there, realize that these things are the same concept about building a situation where, as this says, new brain computer interface tech, you know, Elon Musk style. That this is building something that's all interconnected. Biosecurity state, security state, technocracy, the Great Reset. It's all coming together. And the self-spreading vaccine concept is even more alarming. Especially when you bring this in from the idea of medical pre-crime, tracking your wastewater, telling you you're about to be sick. But the same concept. You're about to be sick tomorrow. You're about to commit a crime tomorrow. Stay in your home. Do what you're told. This is crazy. 
because this is the same idea, removing your say. A self-spreading vaccine technology moves forward. Dialogue on its risks should follow June 10th, 2022. Vaccine in the future could be as contagious as viruses. 2017. Now, yes, some of these are talking about animal, animal to human. That's where this first started. But as I've shown you many times, this is where it all goes. As I said, be sure to watch my segment, which is the link right here on self-spreading vaccines that are currently being worked on. I cover this in the videos within the link below, starting at this number. Also include the video here. You can watch for yourself. Now, I'm going to play this for you so we can really understand what we're talking about with the idea of removing your consent. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? Is this a forward march of science or a mistake? Join our live event. There, there as you can see, the actual event where they discussed this and they've had many discussions since this. But just to be clear, showing the image of a pregnant woman Spreading this to her infant and unborn child is crazy. I mean, guys, that's crazy town. And you don't have consent. They don't have the right to remove your consent. That's the important part to understand here. So as they roll this forward, let's make sure we understand what this is talking about. Now, this the reason I included both those things is because this is what it comes back to. Whether we're talking about implantables, wearables, or monitoring, or you know, pre-crime in general. Compulsory moral bioenhancement, obviously the, the, in the MRA platform kind of concept, that's what this all talks about, the bioenhancement, the genetic therapy concept, that's what this is. It's an early step in that direction. But they're talking about doing this. So if they were saying, hey, we should spread a self-spreading vaccine for their benefit, we need to do that for their benefit. This is what they would argue. It says, if moral... Let's see, they set the table. Same with the way they pump in the data for the pre-crime thing. Well, if moral bioenhancement, who says it's moral? Who makes that decision? The person inputting the data. If a moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, so setting the table with a pre, you know, since it was, we already know it should be, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt, meaning we'll do it without you knowing about it. It is morally preferable, he writes, for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancement. So a self-spreading vaccine or anything like that would be this exact thing. So if they're going to do this compulsory wise, like a massive genetic therapy self-spreading vaccine administration, well, they would say, well, we should do without telling them because they're too dumb to know. They're too too dumb to know it's for their best interest. But it says if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration is a matter of public health. You see one assumption to the next. And for this reason, should be governed by public health ethics. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get into the ethics next, which is what this is, the Universal Declaration of Bioethics Human Rights that they ignore to this day. But you see, they're not operating on the same general understanding. Their bioethics are everything at all costs under the guise of what we're doing that we believe is keeping people safe or we say is, 
right? So we'll do wildly dangerous things because we think it's for your best interest. That's what they mean by ethics. I argue, he says, that the covert administration of a compulsory moral bioenhancement program better conforms to public health ethics than does an overt compulsory program. Think about that. In particular, a covert compulsory program promotes values like liberty, utility, equity, and autonomy better than an overt program. So lying to you and hiding this from you and ignoring your informed consent better aligns with liberty? Come on. A covert compulsory moral bioenhancement program moral, is morally preferable, of course, if you call it moral, then it's morally preferable, to an overt moral bioenergetic program. See how that works? So they argued back in 2018, if we're going to do this, we should do it quietly and not let them know. Well, that doesn't even remotely connect with anything anywhere about bioethics, which the point has always been in this, the two main things anyway, are that you, where was it, you have to consent and the interests and welfare under Article 3 of UNESCO, which the U.S. is a part, of the, the interest and welfare of the individual should have priority over the sole interest of society or science. I read it backwards, but that's the point. That's not un, that's unequivocal. They can't be like, well, it's best for everybody, therefore you... Nope, nope, done. You are violating international rights, human rights. But it also says, to be clear, the consent should, where appropriate, be expressed and may be withdrawn by you at any time for any reason, without disadvantage or prejudice. Like, you know, being told you're fired or not being able to get on the bus or going to a restaurant. Doesn't, they're violating this left and right. So when they argue that that aligns with bioethics, they're just blatantly lying to you. And we also have the study I've showed many times from 2020 that it, it, it very clearly outlines that they've never addressed that giving the injections, as it says, risk of COVID-19 vaccines worsening clinical disease, may worsen COVID-19 disease via antibody-dependent enhancement. We've played that many times. The specific and significant, not hypothetical, not under the air, but specific and significant, that's strong language for a study, of COVID of the risk of antibody-dependent enhancement should have been and should be prominently and independently disclosed in order to meet medical ethics standards of patient comprehension for informed consent. Done. But nobody cared. That's peer-reviewed science from the National Library of Medicine, NIH. But they guess they just missed that one, right? But here's the big point in all this, guys. Seeing as how they're arguing that this is, you know, something that we, they should do, might as well just do it covertly because, you know, they don't know any better. Ask yourself the possibility here. If what we're ultimately talking about, and this is just a one of the hypothetical, there's a lot of, I, I'm not even sure I, there's a, I'm on the line for a couple of different things about whether this is completely illusion like Denny Rancourt discusses, which is possible at the very least. It's very clear they could have done that. But let's hypothetically discuss something. And one of the things I thought about with this discussion around self-spreading vaccines, bioethics, manipulation, pre-crime, is the idea that they could have put this out there to test the self-spreading vaccine that they've been writing about for a decade, more than that. Or you could even talk about things like graphene or the ideas of things they might be trying to use and experiment on, why things are different. But let's focus just on the self-spreading. We know, as Dr. Warren, the inventor or discoverer of this in part, said that the spike protein can shed and can be caught. We know the Salk Institute said very clearly the spike protein can by itself cause disease, which can be spread, which can be caught, which creates symptoms, which can then be spread again. Now, what is that? Is that COVID-19? Is it something else? That's up for you to decide. But the bottom line is what we're talking about is something that should be discussed in the context of self-spreading vaccines. I mean, it's pretty clear that that seems to be what we're talking about. Now, hypothetically speaking, let's just say that's what it was. This was released. 
as a test because they knew it's for your best interest or whatever you want to say, the bioethics conversation. So then it spreads, but then something goes wrong. So people start getting sick who got it. People that didn't get it aren't actually getting their, their, it doesn't seem to be working the way that they wanted it to. And you could argue that they wanted to actually help people, which I don't believe, but bottom line, it comes down to the idea that people are catching this and the people that are getting it are getting hurt by the one people that took the injection are getting hurt because of all the things we talked about before. So what happens? The people that are naturally getting sick with whatever spreading self or otherwise are developing immunity. People that have these injections are destroying their immune system. That could be a mistake. It could be a backfire. Now, please don't jump down my throat for trying to like claim viruses are real or whatever else. I'm just theorizing here. And you can see how that would lead to a choice for trying to dig yourself out of this hole, trying to hide the fact that what you did didn't work and experimented on people and it got, got out of control. Blame it on other people. Then we run to the point where Omicron comes into play, right? Let me grab this. I want to show people this one that we've talked about a lot. Okay, good. Is that still my tweet? Okay, good. So here, let me bring this back up again. Then all of a sudden, Omicron comes into play, right? The one that even Bill Gates said is sort of like a vaccine. Well, it's interesting, right? Because in this theory we're talking about, couldn't it have been something they intentionally pumped out in order to stop something that they didn't see coming? or something else along those lines, or whatever you want to argue, it seems pretty clearly that Omicron was entered into the scene. Here is the example. Why nobody talks about Botswana as the origin, because it was. Instead, we focus on South Africa. Interesting. Here's the statement from Botswana's government that said very clearly, it, the virus was detected on four foreign nationals who entered Botswana on the 7th of November on a diplomatic mission, meaning they had diplomatic immunity. Who were they? What country did they come from? Why isn't that important? And then all of a sudden, Omicron rips around the way. That's ridiculously obvious. Then we have the idea of the B4, B5, and all these different things, which seem to be weirdly focused on just, just alone, the people that took the booster. I find that to be very, very interesting. Let me play a video real quick, and I'm going to be coming right back for you guys. Give me one second before we jump back. And infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory on, approval process. However... Do we really want to intention? Guilty as charged. Um, <laughs> Dr. Dan Stock, uh, 5777 West 700 North, McCordsville, Indiana. Um, to, to address your comment about, gee, it's hard to believe we're 18 months into this and still having a problem. And I would suggest the reason we still have a problem is because we're doing things that are not useful. And we're getting our sources of information from the Indiana State Board of Health and the CDC, who actually don't bother to read science before they do this. Um, I'm actually a functional family medicine physician. That means I am specially trained in immunology and inflammation regulation. And everything being recommended by the CDC and the State Board of Health is actually contrary to all the rules of science. So things you should know about coronavirus and all other respiratory viruses, they are spread by aerosol particles, which are small enough to go through every mask. By the way, the literature that supports all of that is in a flash drive that we presented to you. It's been given to the secretary. As a matter of fact, it quotes at least three studies <laughs> sponsored by the NIH to that exact fact, even though the CDC and the NIH have chosen to, to ignore the very science that they paid to have done. Um, that is why you keep struggling with this, is because you cannot make these viruses go away. The natural history of all respiratory viruses is that they circulate all year long, waiting for the immune system to get sick through the winter or become deranged, as has happened recently with these vaccines, and then they cause symptomatic disease. Because they cannot be filtered out, and they have animal reservoirs, and this is a very important point, no one can make this virus go away. The CDC has managed to convince everybody that we can handle this like we did smallpox, where we could make a virus go away. 
Smallpox had no animal reservoirs. The only thing it learned to infect was humans. That's why we were able to make that virus go away. That will not happen with this any more than it will with influenza, the common cold, respiratory syncytial virus, adenoviral respiratory syndromes, or anything else that has animal reservoirs. So the reason you can't do this is because you're trying to do something which has already been tried and can't be done. Equally important is that vaccination changes none of this, especially with this vaccine. And I would hope this board would start asking itself before it considers taking the advice of the CDC, the NIH, and the State Board of Health, why we are doing things about this that we didn't do for the common cold, influenza, or respiratory syncytial virus. And then ask yourself, why is a vaccine that is supposedly so effective having a breakout in the middle of the summer when respiratory viral syndromes don't do that? And to help you understand that, you need to know the condition that is called antibody-mediated viral enhancement. That is a condition done when vaccines work wrong, as they did in every coronavirus study done in animals, on coronaviruses after the SARS uh, outbreak, and done in respiratory syncytial virus, where a vaccine used in a vulnerable individual done the wrong way, which cannot be done right for a respiratory virus which has a very low pathogenicity rate, causes the immune system to actually fight the virus wrong and let the virus become worse than it would. And that's the point, guys. That's exactly I'm glad I played that video, to be quite honest, because that one is exactly what we've been talking about. Now, apologies for the break there. As you guys know, we have, you know, puppy needs here in the background. <laughs> one day she'll be in line with the show. But the point here to go back to this, guys, is to recognize that what we're discussing is an obvious point of where this may have started in the secondary part of this. Then we can see that the Omicron point of this, not to start, sorry to be a little bit too uh, disjointed there, but the point is the Omicron part of this seems to suggest that there's something different happening. And now we can see that that one, as we just reported the other day, was B4, B5 seems to be focusing on the boosted alone. So we need to ask whether this was them trying to correct a problem and only made it worse. It seems very likely the possibility and everything they've taken, all the actions they've taken seem to at least open that door that maybe this was something that they're trying to cover up, you know, dig their way out of this hole over and over, rushing into the next injections. And then the things they're causing, they just simply blame on more of what they tell you is happening. Very interesting possibility. But I want you to think about that. Now, going over into the technocratic future, as The Guardian points out, more of more so of it anyway or Time Magazine writes, if the metaverse is left unregulated, companies will track your gaze and emotions, according to Tom Wheeler. And as Off Guardian writes, rightly so. And if it is regulated, companies will track your gaze and emotions and then hand that data to the government. Right. So that's it, it, what would you prefer? Right. So they use the idea of some of some unknown creep out there that's doing this or doing that, which is some of the concern. Don't let your children use the metaverse. How about that? Right. But no, no, no. Let's just make sure it is regulated so they can track and use your data. That is the point, which is exactly where this is going. Oh, I'll play it in a second. The data point is, is coming up. But here's another example of how they're normalizing you into the future of what these things are going to be used for. Here's a random thing. Oh, for constipation. No big deal. A vibrating pill for constipation heads to the FDA after completing phase three study. And you can find out in here that this is something that is about... Uh, I forgot I didn't have it. I, I forgot I didn't have it uh, highlighted. It can be used with your phone. I'll find it really quickly. Pill designed to help people with chronic constipation. Cleared a clinical study. It's heading for final review. 
swallowed along with a glass of water, the disposable pill about the size of an everyday multivitamin aims to do more than simply shake up possible blockages. The device is designed to also help reset the connection between the gut and brain's circadian sir, 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 circadian rhythm, which I don't know why in the world you would trust them to do to mess with that. <laughs> As it travels through the digestive system, its vibrations help stimulate the colon's involuntary contra uh, contra contractions. Ultimate goal, uh, where was it? Yeah, right here. The pill's progress can, of course, also be tracked by your smartphone app. No big deal. So let's just open the door to things internally being tracked by your phone. Nothing totally, no, no conspiracy theory there. Why in the world are we pretending that they care about your constipation? This is a foot in the door about normalizing this kind of work, this kind of tracking. If it's on your phone, it's being tracked. We have scientists developing nanomachines that can penetrate and kill cancer cells. Cool. You know what can also kill cancer cells? Cannabis or parsley or lots of other things that have shown to have really strong effects against cancer cells. But no, no, no. Let's give them, let's give them aggressive chemotherapy that works 3% of the time overall. That's a fact, by the way. All said and done, about 3% success rate. Not a joke. And in fact, all the symptoms we associate with things that kill people, like can't things that... Um, Symptoms they associate with cancer as they struggle to the end, all those things are chemotherapy. Go ahead and list them off in the chat. What symptoms do you think people have when they die from cancer? You know, sickly, vomiting, losing their hair. No, no, that's all chemotherapy. That's a, that's true. And guess what? You can even look this up. Most people that actually die from this die from complications of, I don't want to get off on the topic. Last thing, actually, chemotherapeutic drugs are one of the only classification of drugs where doctors get a direct cut of the profit. I wonder if that influences the fact that they keep getting used. What do you think? Or the fact that cancer in and of itself is a billion dollar industry. No, but let's not, let's not cure it, right? Let's just make machines that can penetrate the cells and then we'll just make that. the It's instead of something you can grow in your backyard. But regardless, let's put machines in our body. That's the point. Here's the actual study. Stimuli responsive adapt adaptive nanotoxin to directly penetrate the cellular membrane by molecular folding and unfolding. Biological nanomachines, including proteins, whose function is activated by conformational changes are involved in every biological process in which their dynamic and responsive behaviors are controlled. And supermolecular, this, this is about creating a situation where nanometer core-sized gold nanoparticles are covered with these certain layers entered in your body, penetrating uh, the penetration of the nanoparticles across cellular membranes, like you can see that this is not by, this is not natural. The idea of nanotechnology, where we're talking about now, like lipid nanoparticles, is one thing. We're talking about nanomachines being put in your body. You know, fake news, according to Twitter right now. How about Alex, Amazon's Alexa voice assistant? They'll be able to mimic any person's voice after hearing a short audio clip. Because no big deal there, right? Amazon markets the tech as a way to remember a, dece a deceased family member. So they're basically making a twin of you right now. Your voice, your body, your metaverse, the whole thing. All being tried. This is not even a secret, guys. The point here, though, is why would you do that? For convenience? You mean despite all the things we've seen where they're telling you, oh, they, they found out they were spying on you. They were selling your data. They, they used that to report you because you did something wrong in your house. The police used this to track your... This all has happened. And yet people are still stupid enough to put those devices in their house? Why don't you go play Pokemon Go too? Sounds fun, right? Go use all the things they want to use to map your house and can hear you. This is crazy. Now, it's not to say that your phone isn't the same thing, but that is way invasive. And it's also a crutch that you lean on in every possible way of your life. You should be self-reliant. But yeah, let's let it mimic your voice so it can be you and, and, and literally, you know, 
audio-wise, manipulate in any way it wants. Phone calls, audio recordings. How about audio deepfakes? Like, these things matter, guys. Now, here is one of the most alarming stories I talked about yesterday that I think is just so far, this is the future that's being built. This is so far off the rails. And by the way, as far as I can tell, this is not even rectified. SSE Energy, which I believe is in uh, the UK, I believe. Well, I think it, it will be in the story. Do you, this energy company broke into this people's house, changed the locks, even though they weren't even one of their customers. And the craziest part is if it's still happening, like that can't be legally rectified. Like you guys messed up. Get the hell out of my house. No, no, no. We made a mistake. You don't even, you don't even, we're not even in your energy company. But you know, since we installed the monitor, we'll figure this out together. I would rip that thing off the wall. Get the hell out of my house. You are not, they, they, these are criminals. The people that entered this house should be arrested and charged with a crime. I don't care what context you throw into that. Oops, I was mistaken. Can I say that when I run a stop sign? Can I say that when I accidentally? No, ignorance is no excuse for the law. How many times have you heard that? Except when you work for the law. Except when you work for a corporation. A couple were shocked to come home to find an energy company they are not customers of had changed their locks and installed a prepaid meter in the house. Which, by the way, as many of you know, is a huge topic point. of The, the smart meters are very alarming. Not only that, in regard to the energy they put, the negative health effects, but just the idea that people have been pointing at these as a very real issue for a long time and been called conspiracy theorists. And then this kind of thing happens? This is crazy to me. They also say they're now stuck with a prepaid meter with no account and no idea how to stop it, top it up. What do you mean they're still stuck? It's still happening. So we realize that they don't have a customer with them. They realize they made a mistake and yet we just continue forward? Like, I don't even know how to make sense of that. It is understood the error came from a case of erroneous transfer. So the company made a mistake, which is when an energy company takes over the wrong account. So they made a mistake. So why do you have to rectify it? Same thing with the government. Now this says SSE Energy, the company behind the mistake, has since apologized. Oh, that's great. We're sorry, but we're going to keep doing it though. Rachel has always been a customer of Shell and has never defaulted on a single energy bill. Not once. They initially stated, started to receive letters from SSE Energy that were addressed to a different person, but always returned them to the sender, assuming the company had the wrong address. So the company at that point goes, oh, this guy's trying to get away with money. Okay. So wouldn't, it, wouldn't they care to do their due diligence? Does that even matter? Because to them, it's just another person. It's another face, another account. They don't care who sends the money. So they, they don't care to look into it. I mean, that's made clear by their actions here. Then the bailiffs turned up at their door with a warrant obtained by SSE Energy. So think about how dumb that is. They literally went through a legal process, lawyers, a court, and the judge, or I guess I'm assuming it's a judge and a warrant. It has to be a judge, right? Who made the ruling on that? Yeah, here's a warrant. You have to, you don't have to go through to get a warrant. You have to actually prove I mean, the bottom line is even the court of law doesn't care to have any kind of verification that that is the same person. I mean, this is the system designed to work against you. It's broken, guys, in any place we're looking right now. They obtained a warrant. And it says, and run now by OVO Energy to install a prepaid meter within their home. Now, it says the warrant was addressed to the other man. The warrant they showed up with was addressed to a person that you could prove didn't live there. All you had to do was take a second to look. 
They don't care. The bailiffs apologized and gave a customer service number. Are you serious? When they explained that the man didn't live there. Oh, here's a phone number. Call them. That's not how that would go for me. Get this thing off my wall. You just proved to me, well, you're wrong. You know you're wrong. I don't care what the company says. I'm not this person. You know that. But see, this is the bureaucracy. This is like fish or what was it? Bees or fish. Instead of realizing how stupid it is to just go, well, because of bureaucratic situations, and this ends up in that category by mistake, we have to, instead of just going, it's obviously not a fish, it's obviously a bee, we have to go through this weird broken process where we acknowledge, well, we'll just call them both a fish because it's in the book. No, that is continuing the broken red tape bureaucracy that they've built. So nothing means everything and anything means nothing. This is where we are today. Rachel said that she spent hours on the phone. After they know that they're wrong, this place knows they're wrong with the operators, but because she didn't have an account, they couldn't talk about it. Are you So they, now you've established we don't even have an account with you, but because we don't have an account, we can't discuss the meter you put in our house. See how that works out perfectly for them? They don't care. Sorry, we can't talk to you. Pay us tomorrow. Their locks had been changed and a note was on the door. This note, guys, on the back of an envelope. How is that even legitimate? Your locks have been changed by your energy supply company. Please call this number. I mean, that's just crazy to me. But then it goes on to say, now they changed the locks and opened the door, uh, an envelope, and said <laughs> they, that it has been done by the energy supply company and they should call a number to get new keys. How is this even legal? Rachel's partner works as a bricklayer and had to miss one of his jobs that evening because he couldn't get his tools. So now you're affecting their income. When he got inside, they found a prepaid meter with exactly four pound 72 credit and had been installed in their cupboard. She decided to do her own digging to find out who, who the man on the warrant was, as she knew the previous homeowners did not share his name. So now she has to go about taking this effort. So they don't care to look into it. She, of her own accord, wasting her own time, has to go through and do what their job should have been first. Talk, taking to Facebook, she found a man from Hole in the area with the same name and asked if he had ever lived in that address. He said he had lived down the street on that street, but never that particular house number. See how dumb this gets? The couple is now going through the energy alms budsman, the person they're supposed to speak to, to remedy the mistake, which they say has left them feeling uncomfortable in their own home. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. You don't, you don't own anything, guys. That's the, the illusion. You don't own the government in control of your life, if we, and we've let that be the reality. SSE Energy, now that's not the government exactly, but the, you get my point, advised it may take up to 15 days to get back, her, to, get back to her. Not even to say to get your home back, but just to, for us to respond to you. And she is having to use the meter in the meantime. So we've established you don't have an account. We've established she doesn't live here. We've established just the wrong address and that the guy who installed it admits that it was wrong and you have to use the meter in the meantime? Like, I'm just so completely floored by the story. She has also contacted the police. Get that. You'd think, oh, there's going to end it. The police will step in. She's in the right. Nope. A spokesman for SSE Energy Services told Whole Live, we're very sorry for, her, for the inconvenience caused. While we absorb the money you're still paying that we, you don't owe, we're attempting to reach Miss Holgate to apologize and provide a resolution. Yeah, we're trying to reach her. You mean despite the 13 times she called and spoke to you? Yeah, that's a lie. It is understood that Rachel was a victim of an erroneous transfer where an account is transferred by mistake, which can, hap which can happen when a customer accidentally selects the wrong address. Oh, so it's their fault. I see. 
It's their fault. It's their fault. It's the people's fault. So we'll just, I mean, this makes me want to punch the screen. It is understood that the error should have been noticed after Rachel contacted the company to explain that she didn't live, that didn't live at the address, the person. Of course it should have, but they didn't because they didn't care to hear what she was saying. However, as this was not, not followed up, bills continued to be sent to her address because they didn't care to rectify the mistake because they weren't losing anything. Shell Energy, the couple's original supplier, was contacted for comment to no avail. The Mirror contacted SSC Energy and OVO Energy and Shale Energy for comment to no avail. And that's the end of the story. So I guess they just get to tough it out and pay, pay what they can't afford. This is your future, guys. Extrapolate this out to everything you can possibly imagine, and this is your future. This is where it's going. So we did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission. And the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that, you know, vaccines can prevent transmission perhaps shortly after administered, but not over a long period of time. And therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover at the end of the day that, no, the vaccines are not protecting us. They are not causing what we call sterilizing immunity. Right. And that was just another little quick leeway there. But the point is that, that this is the the bridge between that future and where we currently are. Or for some people, already there. But this is how you step into this, whether it's be your electricity of your home. This is the technocratic future that they're building. And the injection is the doorway to that, for the digital ID, the passport, and everything else that's happening around that. Here, here Zoom is something that a lot of people, I don't, I, I mean, I used to use Zoom. I still have it, in fact but probably going to stop using it now because it says board in a Zoom call. Well, this emotion detecting artificial intelligence could soon tell your boss. You see how my point is they're coming from every possible angle. Now, if you look at one little part of it, well, emotion detecting, not a big deal. What emotion detecting? Controlling of your, of your assets and your, you know, everything we've talked about, the bioethics, the self-spreading vaccines, the pre-crime, every aspect of your life is being controlled and monitored and tracked and cataloged. Emotion detecting AI, like that's crazy. Why would we even be allowing that? Like, you know, that's internal. That's my personal business. And what you're going to start regulating that I feel the right way. This is, I mean, I, every step we take, it's like, you keep saying this, this is genuinely Orwellian. It's like, we keep doing that, but it is, this is one of the most obvious Orwellian stances I've ever seen. That's how that's 1984 in a nutshell, right? That you have to hide your emotions because they'll see that you're not really into it. That is so incredibly alarming. And here, is what I was going to play before about where they where she admits to you. They admit that this is about data, about collecting your data, because as we all know, as she says, that's the future. But also investment to prepare health systems, for example, for the pandemics of the future, or to adapt farming to drier conditions. Investments to equip our workers with skills that match the jobs of tomorrow. Or, for example, investment in digital infrastructure, because we all know the fuel of the new economy is data. So the fate of future generations depends more than ever before on the quality and quantity of our infrastructure investment today. Just like James Corbett told you, data is the new oil. Right. And so think of what she's saying there. The data is the, is the new, the fuel for what they're building. Like, why isn't that discussed in a, in a, a general sense everywhere? 
So if that's the case, then your data, as we should know by now, is wildly valuable to them and it's being given away for free. And that data is being used against you as well. But that's not what you will hear on the general stage. But here's on top of that another angle this comes from. As we know, climate change, as Toby Young points out, what we need to realize is there's plenty of experts that are making this very clear. It's not what you're being told. Going back to the point about the, the bioethics discussion or you know the, car, the carbon tracking, I mean, the, the Supreme Court discussion we just talked about, I agree with. Limiting their ability to constrict your life with the idea of, CO, of carbon tracking and carbon uh, footprint and so on. But we can see how this all ties back in together. And what he's saying is one of Germany's most distinguished atmospheric scientists has castigated politicians for their climate alarmism and called the idea that humans can control the climate with their CO2 emissions an absolute delusion. One of Germany's most distinguished atmospheric scientists. Now, here's the, just like with COVID land. It doesn't matter how distinguished he is or how right he's always been or how respected he is. The moment he says that, he's an anti-science conspiracy theorist forever. Because it, that, that statement means nothing. That's a statement you put on someone who doesn't agree with the corporate narrative. He's obviously distinguished and he obviously knows what he's talking about. You're not anti-science because you say something challenging the mainstream narrative. But you have to at least consider that he could be right. Right? Well, here's where this goes. It gets ridiculous. I think I even mentioned this before. E, uh, EV chargers at the Glastonbury Festival, which featured Paul McCartney and Greta and Putin climate puppet and po- the puppet. Cl- I don't know if that's that their statement. And Greta were powered by diesel generators. That's not a joke, by the way. Like, so this is the illusion of what they tell you is happening. uh, Glastonbury Festival 2020, 80 pounds of fee to use electric charging points, 80 pounds. That's crazy. But it says, just as drivers, uh, where was it here? Hold on. I lost the highlighting. According to the workers, the diesel generator, which powered the electric charging points, is present on the farm all year round and is switched on as and when it is required. So what is the point of using this if we're still using diesel to try? It is simply a sidestep, guys. And it's not to suggest that we shouldn't take personal action in our lives to make to do things better for the environment. It just simply means by taking the direction being led by politicians that don't have the interest of anything you think they do as the direction to take is, is misguided at the very least. Here is another clip about this exact discussion and somebody that we've mentioned before, and I'll play some clips after that. This, th- these discussions are telling you what they see coming in your future. If I can find it, there it is. I think when he hit the head that the problem is not just we will be enslaved by machines and so on, but that this enslavement will even strengthen the division between humans. There will be those who will somehow, we don't know to what degree, control these programming machines, others who are victims. I think something will happen which reminds me of one of my favorite Stalinist, from Stalin's era, jokes. In early 30s in Central Committee, they debate, will there be money in communism or not? Okay, you have right-wingers, Bukharin partisans who said, of course, in a complex society, you need money, you know, have to be there. Then left-wingers, some Trotskyites still there, say, no, money is bourgeois alienation, no money. Then Stalin intervenes and said, no, you are both bad. Right-wing leftist, left-wing deviation, the truth is in the middle. 
there will be a dialectical synthesis of opposites. There will be money and there will not be money. <laughs> and then Comrade said, what an ingenious solution, <laughs> Comrade Stalin, but can you explain us how this will work? And Stalin's answer is, it's very simple. Some people will have money, other people <laughs> will, will not. not. And I fear Amazing. that this will be the result. Some people <laughs> will control us, we other will be controlled, not On that free. beautiful note, if you can... Make sure you hear what he just said. So I know it's difficult with that, that speech, but that's hard to listen to. I'm surprised he's a public speaker. But the point, and not to make fun of him, it's just stating a fact, but... He just made it clear, guys, that's the future that's being built. And they're all actively telling you this, that this is inevitable. They're building a situation of the haves and the have-nots, right? The e the Eloy and the Moorlock are right out of the time machine. This is exactly where this seems to go. The controllers and those being controlled. I don't know why we're not listening when they tell you this stuff. Here, what you're seeing on the screen here is just the, the full discussion. You can watch for yourself. But we've seen a lot of these. Here's another one we've already played. This is only a minute and 34 seconds. This is, and his name is Harari, by the way, the one that you saw right here, this guy on the screen. And this is about, he says, the next phase will be surveillance under the skin. If you're actually, if you're listening, they keep telling you where this is going. Not a year, not 10 years from now, but right now, the fourth industrial revolution. Some lenders routinely use complex artificial intelligence algorithms to determine who qualifies for loans. Global financial markets are moved by decisions made by machines analyzing huge amounts of data in ways even their programmers don't always understand. Harari says the countries and companies that control the most data will in the future be the ones that control the world. Today in the world, data is worth much more than money. Ten years ago, you had these big corporations paying billions and billions for WhatsApp for Instagram, and people wondered, are they crazy? Why do they pay billions to get this application that doesn't produce any money? Now, by the way, on a quick side note, that's not, in my opinion, because they, they're, you know, pressing it, they saw the future, and they knew they'd be, that's because this was a government thing. This was a planned, long-term DARPA-type agenda to, to create these things. And don't forget, we've already proven that. Things like Facebook and Twitter, these things have their origins in some sort of, like, DARPA-like beginning. That's the point. And so this is about collecting that data to be used against you, and we're watching that play out right now. And the reason why? Because it produced data. And data is the key. The world is increasingly kind of cut up into spheres of, 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 of data collection, of data harvesting. Uh, in the Cold War, you had the Iron Curtain. Now you have the Silicon Curtain between the USA and China. And where does the data go? California? Or does it go to Shenzhen and to Shanghai and to Beijing? Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. What is biometric? Yeah, concerned. What a nice way to... Well, I'm concerned that we opened the door. Oh, that. sorry, sorry, smart journalism, Cooper. <laughs> journalist, Cooper. I'm just trying to make it clumsy, but trying to make a joke, but he's not. A dumb question. That door has been opened for decades now right? The bio, they've been collecting this data for a really long time. The idea that COVID opened that door is a completely limited hangout type argument to make you think that we're just stepping into the thing they've already built around you. That's what people like CIA Cooper are meant to do. Metric data. It's data about what's happening inside my body. What is biometric data? Including biometric data. What is biometric data? It's data about what's happening inside my body. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data 
about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. Under our skin, right? Don't understand that biometric data has not been something that started with COVID-19. That has been a long day. And it's not just necessarily internally, like there's the idea of like your heartbeat. Well, I guess it's internally, but those things are already being tracked with your watches and like that's biometric data as well as other things, fingerprints and different. This is what we're talking about. And they, this has been long, a long time coming. It's already been happening. And so this is my point again. This is not a new clip. As I said, it's very clear that this is the most is most certainly not all conspiracy theory. If you simply listen to what they are explicitly telling you. Imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains. And um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants, I can, and we measure your, your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel uh, how the people react um, to your answers. Uh, this is the guy that's telling you this is your future. Right. Not that this is tomorrow, a year from now, but saying back then that this would happen during the fourth industrial revolution and now telling you we're in the fourth industrial revolution. Brain implants. That's what he's talking about or any kind of deep level from that. That's what he's discussing, not hypothetically, but that that's currently the direction we're taking. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact yeah. on your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Right. If you listen... Pay attention. They're telling you what they're doing. They, that was, they said that in 2020. We're not going back to what you had before. Just get, get over that. Same time frame. And for the next six months, the media told you, just keep getting your injections and we'll be right back to normal. All the mindless regurgitators that thought they knew. Most of them probably thought that that was what's going to happen. But here's Klaus Schwab, unelected technocrat, saying, nope, guys, sorry, it's not going to happen. And who turned out to be right? Think about that. Now, finally, on this point of technocracy, I just want to point this out. This was September 15, 2021. The rise of technocracy in the COVID-19 pandemic in Taiwan. Courts, human rights, protection of vulnerable populations. Now, this article really does kind of take a positive lens on it. That it might actually increase human rights and blah, blah, blah. It's not my point of showing you this. Just simply to acknowledge that the conversation of technocracy around COVID-19 is a conspiracy theory. In corporate discussion. In mainstream, you know, in the, the government corporate media discussion. You're a moron, fake news conspiracy theorist if you talk about even the word technocracy. Yet here's entire Cambridge-level studies discussing how that is happening and why it might be a good thing. See how dumb that is? Driven by the need to address the immediate public health threats, that's what they use, right? We're in so much danger, we have to do all these crazy things. But we weren't in danger, they lied. Of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
This has been seen as a, the rise of technocratic mode of governance around the world. Yeah, totally not happening, though, you dumb conspiracy theorist. Don't be swayed by their willingness to shout you down. Be strengthened in your own resolve and the data you're looking at. Don't, don't use their dismissal as proof, but recognize that you're resting on data, facts, peer-reviewed science, and not trusting that either. Just come to your own conclusions and using that as a groundation for your conversation. And don't be swayed by their emotional arguments. Because this is happening. It's very obvious. Now, finally, just on some quick vaccine points to wrap this up, because this is what this is the kind of the reverse of the show from yesterday, right? The idea that this is where it's bleeding back to. We're at this point right now. This is hurting people. They're hiding it and they're suppressing any voices that are trying to show you that because they're desperate to build the world that we just outlined. Here's Sal Diagoras pointing something out that they just don't want to acknowledge. Myocarditis cases just in the U.S. by itself and just ages 12 to 20. In 2019, there were 16 cases. 2020, nine. 2021, 2,301. Totally nothing to see there though, right? No big deal. You know, when the the administration of the injection truly began outside the trials at the end, December, 2020, right? And then we see the explosion of myocarditis. You know, the thing that they admitted can be caused by it, but totally not responsible for the 2000 though. That's actually their, gar- their argument. It's all the COVID myocarditis. Oh, but you mean the COVID myocarditis that isn't actually ex- in existence? right? You mean this study right here, the peer-reviewed study that we just talked about from April 15, 2020, that challenges completely the entire discussion that says post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with myocarditis or pericarditis? We did not observe an increased incidence of neither pericarditis nor myocarditis in adult patients recovering from COVID-19? A major study, Tel Aviv University even, like groups that are supposed to be involved. I mean, think about how crazy that is. And that's, there's not many that are challenging that. That is happening because of exactly what you think, because they know they've admitted they can do it. They've admitted on that case that it doesn't cause it from COVID. So now we're left with a pretty obvious example, but here's the best part. Name cannot be blank says, keep trying. The relative risk, the relative risk, because that they're trying to include that more and more now of myocarditis and pericarditis. It should be absolute risk. If you're talking about any kind of risk after actual COVID infection, especially in teenage males, like he's citing CDC statements from like six months ago. That's what they all love to do is much higher than the vaccine. Well, first of all, it's a dumb argument because you have to catch COVID if that's even there to get this risk, which by the way, for most people, especially kids that in people in 12 to 20, their risk of catching it, according to Oxford calculator is like one in 50,000 and dying is like one in a million and not like it's actually stated as one in a million risk to die from COVID. So first of all, catching it is also very slim for them. The point is, that they have to catch it first to get what you claim is an increased risk. But when you inject yourself, it's instant. You gain that risk right then. So why would you take risk on the chin for the hypothetical possibility that you may get it in the future? That's not science. That's propaganda. But he goes on to say, so yeah, the vaccine is associated with myocarditis. However, the vaccine is actually protective against it. Wow. Talk about some backward logic. So now he's telling you the vaccine protects you from myocarditis. Think about that. I simply said, keep trying and posted the peer-reviewed science because that's all we need, guys. We don't need to get into some ridiculous childish argument because you know what? Nothing. Crickets. As he will keep trying no more. Exactly. Why not just, you know, it's on a little bit because, you know, it's fun sometimes. But the point is that ends the conversation. What are you going to say? Peer-reviewed science. 
You can argue that there's other science that's different, but you can't start come out and go, you're wrong, you conspiracy theorist, because we're not conspiracy theorists. The point is, he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he is regurgitating what the media told him. Here's the study. Please read it for yourself. The incidence of myocarditis and pericarditis in post-COVID-19 unvaccinated patients, a large population-based study. It just, it, 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 it's impossible not to see this. Now, on, t- on the note of the majority, here's an expose article that I want people to think about. 74.2 million people in the United States have not had a single dose of COVID-19 vaccine. 74.2 million. What is it now? 330? 329.5 million is the population. So what's the percentage on that? Somebody give me the percentage in the chat. The percentage of 330 million, if we're talking about 74, you know, I don't know, I want to guess, I'll look stupid, I'm terrible at that, but 74.2 million people, that's a huge portion of this country, have not had a single vaccine. Now realize that a huge portion of this number, of this, of the, whatever it is now, uh, let's see, it's uh, what they claim is 67.5%. And what does fully vaccinated mean now? I mean, who, who knows what this even is anymore? Four, five, six shots, it doesn't even matter. Two is all they claim is fully vaccinated. It doesn't even make sense. But you can't do this without being up to date. But you're fully vaccinated, though. <laughs> Let that sink in how dumb that is. But the reality is 67.5%. So if we're talking 74 million people, a huge portion, then we realize that a huge portion of this number, probably more than half, were forced into it. Because we, we, we watched we watch the evolution of this percentage. And even that's probably not real, but the evolution of what they stated. And we watched how it went from 20 to 30 and barely slowly pushed up to maybe 50% after they threatened and forced and fired and attacked and belittled and degraded. That drove people, but they don't want to do it. So the idea that that's all people that agree with this is ridiculous. But the point is, 74 million is huge. But on top of that, another 157 million have refused a second or third dose. This is my point I keep making, guys. Even the people that were tricked are seeing through it now. They're going, okay, guys, I got, I've got, i got sick both times. I've got, I got sick when I took it. Then I got what they said was COVID. And then I got sick from it. The mask makes me sick. I mean, they're like, this is, I'm done. This is not working. You guys are lying or you're wrong. I'm just going to take a break. They may not be on the same path as us and say, oh, they're doing it on purpose. Or the masks don't work. They may think they made the right choice. They're just going to be quiet and sit back. But either way, they're saying no to the next ones. You are on the, you are not alone, guys. The majority of this country is well aware of what's happening right now. At the very least, that this is not safe. That's all we're talking about. So one, you add them together and you're over 200 million. That is more than half this country by a long shot. You are not alone. Here's lawyer mom pointing out after they, we just did the show, by the way, of the, of discussing how the CDC has recommended these for kids at the end of last month. So with the two fi- basically fake approvals and this recommendation, based on what RFKJ, RFK Jr. has been discussing, that seems to give them legal indemnity for everybody. We'll have to wait and see how this plays out. But that's a really alarming thing to hear. And so now, now, now that they push this for the children, they're sending out text messages. This is from Cook County, Chicago, Department of Health, offering a $100 gift card. And this is my point. Coercion. Bribery. If you vaccinate your six-month to four-year-old, they're literally giving terrible parents $100 to them to inject their babies that don't need it. It just makes my skin crawl to your phone. Did you ask for that? How'd they get your number? It doesn't matter because that's the future they're building. 
And this is the point again to play this again. This is where you're going. It's not just one shot and done. It's not get your vaccine and go back to normal. Get your vaccine. It's 15 days to flatten the curve, right? Just wear your mask. It'll be over tomorrow. Just take your injection and we'll be all be past this. Just reach herd immunity. We can end. Oh, nope. Sorry. There's plenty of places that are 90, 99%. Let's still keep wearing your mask. Lockdown, new variants. The point is it was never going to end. And we told you that from the beginning. Now I could have been wrong. I didn't say I knew. I said, that's my opinion based on everything we've seen happen, based on where we can see that they're lying to you already. It was just about just choosing to acknowledge what's actually happening right in front of you. Now, here we are. But my message today, more specifically, is for those that haven't yet received their first booster. The immunity conferred by a primary series of two doses of vaccines administered in 2021 has now waned. While you might have gotten infected, risk is high. You could get reinfected with all the downfall, including the risk of developing symptoms of long COVID. And don't forget, by the way, that the natural immunity discussion is still as strong as ever. I keep making that point. There's nothing that shows that that's not what's happening. All the peer-reviewed science that's found that is lasting, durable, robust from every single prominent outlet, Nature, Lancet, uh, uh, JCI, M- or MD, I forget, I'm conflating them all. JCI Insights, I think, and MDPI, all of them, every single one of them, science.org, they say lasting, durable, robust. And even the one I keep showing you discusses how it even works for Omicron and forward. It continues to make durable, lasting, robust immunity for variants of concern. That doesn't just change because they say so. That's what they found in the research. So here we are where they're saying reinfected. Who's getting reinfected? People that took the shots. As health experts and physicians will tell you, it's critical that you go and get the shot that's waiting for you. Les études scientifiques sont claires. Scientific studies clearly show that our protection from the initial two-dose vaccine decreases over time. Our immunity level evolves in a dynamic way as a function of time and variance. The virus evolves, and Omicron cruelly made us aware that we will never be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Now consider the point of Botswana. And maybe this is something that was meant to happen. Maybe this is something they were doing to try to cover up a problem. And maybe they're not just dealing with what's in front of them. I don't know. It's just possibilities. The bottom line is we know we're being lied to. Like the virus, our immunity also evolves and Omicron. Your immunity doesn't, your immunity adapts. It doesn't evolve. The idea they're trying to act like these people's immunities and all of our immunities just changing with time as a collective. Because that makes sense, right? <laughs> what is this, evolution in, in, in a 30-second point? I mean, this is ridiculous. You're, they're destroying people's immunity and acting like that's just natural evolution. Made us understand that two doses are no longer enough. We have to maintain our vaccination so all the people that said, just get your doses and go back to normal. Well, even if we had all done that, guess what they'd be saying right now? Oh, they wane. So you have to get more. Like, take a step back and think about that. This is not just because the unvaccinated caused variants. That has nothing to do with this. They're saying the injections just stopped working. Or in fact, your immune system stopped working because of the injection. But the point is, if they wane, that was always going to happen really absorb that point. It's not about the fact that unvaxxed are causing problems and we couldn't reach for immunity. They weren't ever going to continue. They're waning. That's their science. So the point is either that was the plan or they failed and they're continuing to push more injections. That's not anybody's fault other than the failing injection or rather the injection causing your immune system to fail. 
up to date. Fortunately, receiving a booster dose of COVID against COVID-19 when recommended improves this protection. We now know that being up to date with your vaccinations means you can reduce your risks of transmission of infection of severe symptoms and your risks of developing long COVID. That's why it's essential that Canadians remain up to date with their vaccines. And what does being up to date mean? Being up to date with your vaccinations mean that you've received your last dose uh, during the last nine months. If you've already received your first booster dose, congratulations. However, find out in order to see when or if and when you'll be eligible for a new dose. Hmm. Right. So just wait to be told. So how does this change this then? huh? So according to them, 82% of the country is fully vaccinated. Oh, I thought that was supposed to be herd immunity, according to every single thing that was said by anybody in any expert position, right? But now nope, just, we just move the goalpost because no, not anymore. But who cares? Because what does it even mean anymore? Are you, are you in five shots, six shots up to date? Does fully vaccinated still mean two? Yes, it does. So what does the number even mean? So now there's not even that. What he's saying is there is no such thing as fully vaccinated anymore. You're never fully vaccinated. You're on forever cycling for new shots. But yet here they are with their citation for Canada at fully vaccinated. Because <laughs> nothing means anything, guys. They're breaking everything because they're off the rails. Maybe this will be updated. But then what does it mean when you compare this to some place that gives fully vaccinated still? Like it's just it's ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Maybe that's the argument they're using or they're making it confusing so they can lean into, well, the WHO has to take control because we can't manage it by countries anymore. WHO is going to step in. That seems like an obvious point, but they're trying to cover this already. Right. People aren't people aren't getting sick. They don't take these shots. It seems But they're going. What do you want? How, what do you need to know about covid reinfections? Well, you can read this for yourself. Well, health officials are concerned about early reinfections within 90 days. Weird that three month period just keeps coming around. Right. It's almost like we told you about that way back in the beginning. Remember that? Funny how that works out. But reinfections may become more common in the vaccinated, it should say. But the point is they're just trying to create the narrative that what's totally normal. That reinfections, that's just how vaccines work. You know, here's Simone Gold, by the way, to finish off. This is what we see to people that are trying to inform you. Now, I'm not saying that I can, I, I don't know every single thing Simone Gold has put out. I can't, I mean, just maybe something I disagree with. Maybe something I just have a different opinion on. That's not the point here. It's not the point to say that I endorse everything she's doing, or maybe I'm, the point is, just as I'm saying that to be objective, I, I, I would stand up for her. I think they've done amazing work, and she has been standing up for what's going on around COVID and trying to call out the lies. A lot of, I think, a lot, it doesn't matter. The point here is that this is unacceptable. She is somebody that has been trying to speak up about what's going on, and she's not only being attacked, losing her job, but she's now being arrested. And that's in regard to the January 6th nonsense. She says, I lost my job speaking out against the dangerous COVID policies perpetuated by the government. It appears I will now also lose my freedom for saying that exact thing. This fight was never fair, but I do not regret speaking out to save lives. Here is the discussion. Now, here's the point, by the way. Do you realize how crazy this is a great example? So let's just say, let's just say not even January 6th. Let's just say somebody holds a rally and you get invited to speak at that rally. So then you follow where the, you follow the rally, you follow what's happening and you go in where they tell you to go and you go speak. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened here. I'm just saying, so just you, let's just say the idea is you show up to speak because you think, you know, whatever. And then you speak at that rally. And then later they frame that rally as something like this. And they say, well, because you were there in that room, you're a criminal. But wait a minute. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't break any laws. They opened that door. I simply walked in and gave my speech because I thought that's what we were doing. 
You see my point? And you can argue that there's maybe some awareness that she, I guess it doesn't matter. The point is there was no law. She didn't break any laws, especially since we just showed you the video of them unlocking the door and letting them in because they were told to. Now, I'm not talking about other examples of violence and whatever else. I'm talking about this specific example. So she spoke on January 6th for your freedom. And she is now going to be put in jail because of that, because they just want to attack specifically people like her that want to go after the COVID narrative, but also in the context of, you know, Republicans and white supremacy and whatever nonsensical thing they're just broadly sweeping around, sweeping away. This should make you really upset. Whether or not you agree with her, by the way, because this is called suppressing voices. And here, somebody tweeted this, and then guess what? It got deleted to make that point. Here it is. Oh, wait, no, sorry. They removed it from their website. Wait, what do they see the suppression? Here's what I'm trying to get to. CBS. This is CBS from May 6, 2009. Merck created hit lists to destroy, neutralize, or discredit dissenting doctors. We've actually pointed to this a long time ago. Now, the point is, is not, to, not to say Merck is, it, the point is simply to realize that this is allowed, this happens, that they're constantly being allowed to go, and, and the governments and people involved, they let this happen. They are trying to discredit people that go after them, and the government tends to just walk right along with that. It's disconcerting at the very least. But here's a, here's a clip I actually want to play before we wrap up here. Tonight, keeping drug companies honest, a story that's simply stunning about multi-million dollar profits and illegal activity at this country's biggest drug company. The Justice Department alleges Johnson & Johnson boosted sales by paying millions of dollars in kickbacks to pharmacists and doctors who pushed the drug Risperdal to patients who did not need it. The medical editors of that journal accused the drug company Merck of misleading them about the dangers of Vioxx, of hiding the fact that it caused even more heart attacks than previously known. Johnson & Johnson paid $2.2 billion. Eli Lilly paid $1.4 billion. Pfizer and its subsidiary paid $2.3 billion. And GlaxoSmithKline paid out a record $3 billion. For seven years, Glaxo failed to report data showing its best-selling diabetes drug. Avandia increased the risk of heart attack by as much as 40%. Opioid epidemic has killed more than 400,000 Americans. Tonight, Purdue agreeing to pay more than $8 billion in penalties. Antidepressant Paxil wasn't approved for use by patients under 18. The company illegally marketed the drug for use by children, even when a clinical trial found teenagers who took the drug for depression were more likely to commit suicide than those taking a placebo. Purdue Pharma pleading guilty to felony charges of defrauding federal health agencies and violating federal kickback laws for inducing doctors to prescribe those powerful opioids. Glaxo also hired a company to write a medical journal article downplaying the risks. The firm used PR firms and paid several doctors, including the U.S. celebrity doctor, Drew Pinsky, to promote the drug. If you can't trust medical research that gets published in very established journals, what can you trust? But as Bob Orr reports, the massive settlement may not lead to much change. Is fraud the business model of the pharmaceutical industry? No one's going yes. To no one's going to prison. And worse yet, they've set up a situation where Purdue is going to be able to continue on. You look at this thing, and I mean, if Pfizer is too big to fail, and even the biggest fine in history is just a few months profit, then what's going to stop it from illegally promoting other drugs? Critics say Anderson nothing. Yeah, exactly. And welcome to today. Right? Isn't it amazing? The very same people that said that then are the ones that are hiding, they're defending Pfizer right now. Isn't that interesting? It's very telling is what it is. So the point is that Merck and other places made these lists because they were leading at the time. And it's ever these are it's the same idea. These are massive pharmaceutical companies that are getting away with murder, literally. 
because the governments are allowing it. Here's the Pfizer tracker to end with. So you can see this Pfizer specifically 89 different records. that has gone up since this has started over $10 billion since just 2000 in regard to healthcare related offenses, lying about false claims, foreign corruption, drug or medical equipment, safety, basically lying about side effects, lying about what they can do, uh, administering the people that just shouldn't have them. As somebody in the chat, chat said, why are they still companies? Because there's more going on here than just normal due diligence. These are criminals, guys, and this is happening for a reason. The sad reality is this has been going on for a long time, and there's so much more happening around this than just companies trying to make money. The point is all the money you saw there, $8 billion, this, and it's, it's just a factor of doing business for them. They set aside billions of dollars, so if they get caught, they know they can just pay it out, give the illusion of process, and they continue. This is being built. It's time for us to do something about it. Thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like this Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But... um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brez- of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece- at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy forum. That's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm -hmm. I'm here with the president, with a young global leader, but... And so who do we have as we walk, uh, Klaus, in uh, in the different meetings? What type of uh, stakeholders do we have? The constituencies? Stakeholders, we have... uh, If if I look at our stakeholders, we have business, uh, of course. as a very important audience, and we have politics, we have uh, uh, continuous uh, uh, partnerships with many governments around the world, and of course we have NGOs, uh, we have trade unions, we have all those different parts. Media, of course. Media, of course, and very important um, experts and scientists and academia, because if we are looking at the future, I think we should look at new solutions, and the new solutions will be very much driven by technological uh, developments. And we even have, uh, you even have religious leaders, right? We have religious leaders, we have social entrepreneurs, very important social entrepreneurs.
difficulty which we have is to create a consensus in a very empowered world. And that's what we stand for, for the process to integrate people and to create such a consensus. Thank you very much, Klaus. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you.